Greetings, Quester, and welcome to the Meddlesome Meeples. Grab an ale, sheathe your axe, and join us fireside. Here's your host, Matt Williams, with Richard and Heather. Welcome to episode 9 of the Meddlesome Meeples. I'm Matt. I'm Richard. I'm Heather. So, we've got a few special epi- uh, few special segments to talk to you about this week. Richard? Well, we are going to talk about the Board Game Expo that we went to. Yeah, the UK Games Expo 2017. Yeah, and that also answers the question of what I've been doing this week. Yeah. <laughs> and Heather's going to be... I was going to say what you've been doing this week. You went as well. <laughs> yeah, I was also at the UK Games Expo. Mm. You didn't get to go this year, did you? No, but I went to see Wonder Woman yesterday. Yes. Oh, I'm jealous. Without you. And tell us what you think. Did you enjoy it? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it was a lot better than I thought it was. I don't think the advert really does it justice. Why did you enjoy it then? What was good about it? A lot. I like the outfit. It's just a girly thing to say. <laughs> <laughs> well, you see, if I'd said that, or if Richard had said that, we'd be getting hate mail Same right now. here. <laughs> <laughs> nah, she's... Yeah, it is really nice. It's a, it's a lot different than all the female superheroes. Um, I've actually heard that. Um, yeah. yeah. They've said um, she's not so much like a superhero, more like a proper character kind of thing. So, yeah, 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 definitely. Very powerful. Mm. But, um, I'm really interested to see I don't what... want to give it away. Yeah, <laughs> I'm really interested to see that myself. I haven't been, been able to get to see that Take yet. Take me to see it again. Well, <laughs> I, like Richard, went to the UK Games Expo, so we're going to be doing a special quest report on that yeah. and talking about some yeah. of the things we saw there and the games that we've played. Uh, we've also got a special Tiny Meeple's Big Talk. And just if you haven't picked up by now, special, we use that as a code word for a long one. <laughs> yeah, basically, we had a lot to discuss. And you might be able to tell by the uniform I'm wearing what the subject was. It, yes. I wasn't sure about wearing this at first, but now that now that I put it on, I don't want to take it off. So. <laughs> <laughs> this is what happens when you borrow your mate's Star Trek uniforms, don't you? That's what mm. happened with me. I wore this last night and I thought, I'm just going to wear it all day to rub it in. Yeah. <laughs> just showing it off. Oh. So yeah, uh, we'll be doing a special Tiny Meeple's Big Talk on uh, our Star Trek Dream Team Bridge Crew, mm-hmm. uh, following on from our Star Wars ep- uh, segment last week because we have to keep it balanced. Yeah. Um, and also, I'll be talking about a recent read of mine, Aztec Century, um, by Christopher Evans, which Good is an one. alternate history um, sci fi novel that shows us what the world might have been like had Hernando Cortez gone over to the Aztec side. You've been, wa- you've been watching Stargate while reading that. Your head must just be... <laughs> How do you concentrate on so many things at once? I have been watching a lot of Stargate SG-1 yeah. this week. Uh, I think I've watched like 12 episodes since Monday. So you Monday. can't rely on what you said about this book. <laughs> it could have just been something SG-1 did. <laughs> I did manage to keep them separate, you know. Mm. I don't think I mentioned Daniel Jackson at all during Tome Talk. And no. you know how much I talk about Daniel Jackson and Normally. Sam Carter. Yeah, yeah. No, if I'd said that, that would be weird. Yeah, <laughs> that's why I had to add the Sam Carter. <laughs> when Matt says it, it's slightly more weird. <laughs> yeah. yeah. That's what we normally go for. So, that's uh, that's what we've got to look forward to in this episode. Um, well, let's get on with the show. Mm-hmm. So, on this episode of The Quest Report... Uh, Richard and myself wanted to talk about something that we'd been to recently, which yep. was the UK 
Games Expo 2017. Yeah, so it's more like a normal quest we went on. We actually <laughs> went somewhere this time. <laughs> <laughs> we went somewhere, we did some things, we played some things, yeah. we saw some things. Yeah, yeah, we did. Yeah, it was good. Yeah, I enjoyed it a lot more than I thought it would, actually. I was looking forward to the playing of games. Mm. Because, obviously, we get to play games quite a lot here, but we don't get that much time to just... Uh, really spend a day or something mm. and without kind of interruptions and being able to just play one of the really long games and that's what I was looking forward to and I thought it'd be interesting to see the expo and see what it was like but actually I really enjoyed the expo as well and um, reminded me a lot of comic-con mm. but um, a little bit more because it was just about the one particular thing as in the board games most of all um, it just seemed people were a bit more into it yeah and it was just and it's just a bit of a nicer thing in some ways because Comic Con was more like memorabilia and stuff mm. like getting things for yourself like for your collection and mm. things on the advertising films and stuff whereas it's kind of groups of friends going around yeah. in, in the expo it's like people were going around to find games to play with their friends mm. which I think is a much nicer Massive aspects. It was more, so, definitely more of a social element to it than the. Mm. Um, I don't want to say the commercial side of Comic Con, but as yeah. you say, when you go around there, there's just stalls with merchandise everywhere, aren't there? Yeah. Whereas at, at the Games Expo, you go there, there's plenty of stalls there selling games and selling yeah. uh, various ex- game accessories and things like that. Mm. And we picked up a few bits while we were there, didn't we? But yeah. at the same time, there is enormous areas that are just devoted to people playing games it's just tables yeah. where you can go and and uh get a game going and there's a games library there um that was good yeah. thirsty meeples were looking after i believe yeah but we were in we spent pretty much all our time in hall one didn't we at the nec oh, in hall three but, yeah there was another one <laughs> there was another one which we actually never we got around go to, to and it was just purely tables for people playing games yeah well you we know. had the hotel for that didn't we so yeah um, so we yeah. we uh, just sort of wandered around. Um, we really did have a have a good time though, and there was a lot going on. Um, what amazed me was how many stalls there were just selling dice. Yeah, I liked that one that had um, normal dice and then really really tiny dice and then really really big dice. <laughs> <laughs> Massive D twenties. Yeah, yeah, that was cool. I mean, there was uh, so many uh, stalls to look at, and it wasn't it wasn't all games, was it? Because there was some. Uh, well, I say it wasn't games, but it was RPG books. There were a lot of places selling RPG books. There was just makes it sound um, like you don't think they're games. They 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 are, but I mean they're not they're sort of board, board games. games. They're RPGs, and I love RPGs. Yeah, I do. Um, but it was great going around seeing all the different RPG bookstores. Yeah, some of those look really interesting. Mm. Maybe want to be a GM. Maybe start thinking of stories. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, there was games that you that you could go and demo. Yeah, that um, was really good. We did one of those, didn't we? we well, we did a, did a look at a few. But the one that really stood out to me was a game we played called Legends Untold. Yes. Yeah, that was really good. Because we, we saw that on the Saturday, didn't we? Yeah. And we went back to it on the Sunday morning. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, so I was, quite, I was looking forward to that. That was the one thing I wanted to do on the Sunday. Mm. Make sure we got there and got a table to be able to have a go at Legends Untold and yeah it was it was really good it was strange as well because we kind of sat down uh, we thought it was just going to be us but then we played in a four player group with uh, a couple that were there that we, we'd not known before and hello if you're watching this um, I, honestly I can't remember their names 
I don't. Th- I, I think, I don't um, think we... we just went by the names that were on our cards or the the names of the mm. well the roles that we were playing. Mm. So one of them uh, was a student. Well, I remember this thing about <laughs> that her character was a, a student, which I thought was quite interesting in a fantasy game. Yeah, <laughs> and uh, it, but they were quite unusual roles. Like you were an evicted noble, I think. Yes. Uh, I was a forge hand. Yeah. So, you, but you didn't. Ha- the other guy a was a farm that I thought hand. You were going to have, and you didn't. Yeah, you didn't have like the mechanical skill that I, that you needed at one point. Mm. But like technically, you were like a different role. So yeah, <laughs> I had a, I had a hammer and I had skills that would allow me to mend things. So like if mm. a weapon was broken, I had like bonus points to mending abilities, and yeah. I could fix that with my hammer. I had a, a couple of spears, so I could throw one at range and yeah, use so one at melee. Yeah, so you had didn't you? So we knew how many you had, mm. and then after battle, it was just assumed you picked them up again. Yeah. So that that was good because you were the the girl the woman that we were playing with. She was an archer, wasn't she? Yeah. So, and you had the choice. Yeah. <laughs> you could be melee or ranged. So you guys were like chucking, you were chucking spears, and she was firing arrows, and it, it made combat a lot easier. I thought well, a lot better. It was a really interesting system. Just to say a little bit about the game, uh, we all had like a, a character card with a picture of our character on and mm-hmm. some stats for them, and then a few different cards. And some of the mechanics of it really interested me because, like, for example, with wounds. Uh, instead of just like a normal health system where you you take damage, with that your wounds were the cards you had. You had to turn yeah, a card. Yeah, you just chose an ability to lose. Yeah, or you could be even a weapon, couldn't it as well? It could be, yeah. Uh, which would not, which would usually be your last choice, particularly because you'd be taking wounds during battle. Yeah, but you could turn nice. those over, and if I think was it three, and you were considered knocked out or something uh... like that, or maybe was it just three, or was it just because we had that many cards? I don't know. I was we only ever got. I, mean, I, got, I took two wounds at some point in yeah. time, and then we rested. So, so when, yeah, when rest, you just use some time, but you you all get healed. So, um, the man that we were playing with, I can't remember what his his character was. He was a farmhand. He was the farmhand. That's it. So he was wounded, but we we didn't we didn't rest then. Yeah. We thought it uses the same amount of time to rest. Yeah, so heals all wounds. We all have to rest as well, so yeah. we might as well. So we waited till I was wounded as well, and then we rested and healed both. So. And there were some really interesting things like that, like that mechanic, the, the way that the time worked and the mm. resting, the way that the wounds worked. Yeah. Uh, I mean, the actual attacks were resolved through dice, but even that was quite interesting because you got a different. You'd roll three dice and apply uh, your result to decide what happened, whether you got a hit, whether you pushed a character back. Yeah. What was interesting though was that you, uh, you, if you were in a engaged in combat the other characters didn't attack you no it's it just was if just you rolled low if you rolled you badly hit. then they that was considered their counter attack or, yeah. or parry and thrust sort of thing that was interesting that yeah. was really really interesting way of doing battle to me it seemed like it's a it's a, an rpg that had enough immersion i mm. thought so i did feel like we were actually making decisions and we were on mm. this adventure but it was so scaled down yeah so it was so easy to do. Like partly there was a guy helping us do it, but yeah. it's all um, the maps are on quite small cards yeah. with enough detail on them. And when you go through, you connect. You had to connect them, didn't you? Yes, and you kind of choose which which way you go, but then you choose which side to connect. You had to match the light, there, didn't you? You did, you yeah. So if but you're if, going out of a yeah. cave or into a cave, you'd mm. had it to give you kind of how light that was, mm. and you would then take the next uh, location card and have to match up the most suitable lighting to yeah. the 
you know, so it wasn't just well, this is where I want to come out. As Richard's saying, you had to kind of match match them up. That again was an interesting mechanic. Yeah, and that that kind of determines how easy you are to be seen as you go into the mm. new place, doesn't it? So if you've just gone through the darkness, there's a very high chance that you'll be able to see any enemies in the new place mm. before they see you. Um, but you had to roll for that, didn't you? Yeah. So yeah, Matt was being the scout each yeah. time. So. so I had to roll and to yeah. see what happens. And... You got all good rolls for that, didn't you? So <laughs> we were always on high alert when we went through. So that was good. What did you think? Because they had a mechanic there. So the games were timed. Yeah. And the way that they were timed was you had so many event cards, didn't you, that would make a deck. And I think it was four. There was four different event cards. And they're all face down. And you spend a time by taking the top card off and putting it to the side. That's and then when you get down to it. the... Um, we had yeah, we had to keep doing that. It wasn't just for when we rest certain yeah, things. Trigger time, they, as they move like, from locations. There's a whole bunch of stuff that you do when you enter a place that doesn't cost time because oh, it's yeah. on the card already. It's only certain actions that then cost time. Yeah, yeah. It's like decisions you make. So you always decide to burn time. That's what mm. the guy kept saying. But the way that that works, to so say you would uh, take the top one and move it over until you got to the bottom one, then you turn that over, and that would yeah, be like an event or that something. Was the event. And that would you would then have to go through that and and fulfil whatever we got attacked events by were. bats on one of them. Yeah, but then you took that get card out, didn't you? And yeah. so that meant that then the next time you're going through the deck, there was just three. So you but then you were doing that for the next event. Yeah, and then <laughs> yeah. until eventually you get down to there's just one card. That's the event, and once that's gone, the game's over. Well, yeah, and then you've got one more. It's kind of not over, but when you would get it's to like a time where you're going to burn time, you can't do it, so the game's over. Yeah. Because we did quite a few things with no cards left, didn't we? <laughs> we we were still fighting the last boss, weren't we, and stuff like that. So, and yeah. we did we did pretty well. And some of the, it was quite pleasing that we the uh, the chap that was running the demo said to us, you know, that some of the things that had been done in that game, we were the only. Uh, team that had managed to do actually decided yeah because yeah. I actually I was quite pleased I found some candles at the start mm. inside because I climbed up the cliff to loot this chest or something and I found some candles <laughs> <laughs> and then it, it ended up being useful in the next room mm. so we could actually exhaust the candles to make it a light source mm. and I think that scared away something or other so yeah mm. uh, that helped we were sneaking past things a bit too easily I think we got the mechanic a little bit wrong because then another guy came over and clarified, didn't he? So we we sneaked past some goblins, but we didn't roll for it. Um, no, I so think we we sneaked past them because my scout roll had been quite high, and yeah, they were drunk. So, that was, so oh, because yeah, they were drunk, that, right. that meant that we could sneak past without a combat. Had they been higher level goblins and not drunken goblins, and if we'd we wouldn't have had the roll, then we would yeah. would have had to fight them because we'd have disturbed them. Oh, that's all right. Yeah, so you but, can't just sneak past loads of stuff. Um, yeah, but I think what you said earlier kind of summed it up in a lot of ways because you you made the point that it was like scaled down. That's what I liked and, about it. It was yeah, but it didn't feel scaled down. It was scaled down in the sense of we had uh, our character cards and and the various cards that we were using, and it was scaled down in the sense that rather than having like a big board, yeah. we were using these locations and building this little map with these cards. Mm. But it felt like it was a a full on. Yeah. Adventure. It felt like all the best bits of questing, but without the uh, housekeeping stuff you have to yeah. do partway through each turn. It didn't feel like there was loads of things we had to keep account of. It didn't no. feel like there was any particularly complicated rules. Basically cards and dice, wasn't it? Yeah. And we were doing a proper adventure. And it, they all basically fit into a small box. And I, remember, I think I said to you at the time that I can imagine 
taking that game with me when I was going on like a holiday or away mm. for a few nights yeah, because I you would. could even play that game solo mm. just by taking a couple of characters because you don't need a GM for it because uh, the did. deck and the, the decks themselves dictate yeah, what you happens. Yeah, shuffle the cards and, that, and that's it. I mean, we were actually doing an actual scenario, weren't we, where there was mm. meant to be a lost merchant or something. I'm yeah. not sure if that was just for the demo because he actually, the guy had the cards in a particular order, didn't he? Yeah. Like, normally they would be shuffled, but he wanted to make sure that we experienced certain aspects of the game. So, yeah. so yeah. in like a normal game, there might have been more random enemies, more battling mm. going on, but yeah. it meant that we could actually play through a little bit of a story and get the various aspects of the game understood. And and um, I actually thought that that was probably, out of all the various games that we saw, I would say that would be my number one game from the Expo. Mm. Um, as it was, it was a game that I backed on Kickstarter. That's part of what I like. That was part of the way to say relaxing to just play it because I didn't feel like they were selling it to us yeah. because you'd already bought it. Basically, <laughs> they were just showing us how it works, and I thought that was really nice. I said to the uh, the guy, one of the guys at the store, that it was really interesting for me to be able to play it because when I saw it on Kickstarter, it felt like they were saying the game was going to do so much. Mm. Um, and yet it seemed like there was so little to it that it didn't really convince me of how it was going to do all these things, how it was going to generate a full campaign, yeah. how it was going to give us this real adventure feeling when it was just a few cards um, and some dice. And it really, really impressed me how much they were able to do without miniatures and big campaign quest books and yeah. without a GM. And I just feel that that really is you know, the, the game that I'm most enjoyed and i am really looking forward to getting come through and the yeah. game itself is really cheap i mean i paid a, i think a little bit more because i got it with an expansion and there's some booster packs i think you can get separately which are in the original kickstarter stuff as well yeah. but i think you can get everything for the game for about 50 pounds yeah um, but if you just want the base game which is what we were playing or part of what we were playing rather yeah um I think you can get that for like twenty twenty five pounds. Yeah, that, that is well worth it. I thought because uh, yeah, when when we were playing, it, I thought I'd, I'd quite like to get this as well. Mm. But uh, normally I don't think that because if you get the game, then I'll just play it, play it with you and Heather. So, but I thought I could actually quite easily do little adventures with other people mm. quite uh, quite easily, and it seemed like something that people would learn to play pretty quick. And I think uh, I could probably quite enjoy having a, a few rounds of it solo, even. Mm. So yeah, that was that was one of the highlights for me. Um, there was other games we looked at. One was called uh, Far Cry. From what, Brain, uh, there was a game called Far Cry that we looked at. I think I looked I looked at it more than you did. Um, <laughs> I think you were looking at another game at the time. Okay. Um, but it was a it's a combat game. There mm. are miniatures in it. Uh, your different mechs and things. For sure, it was Far Cry. But it was called Far Cry, mm -hmm. and you had a map. And I remember saying to the guy, it was uh, Lewis Shaw from Raincrack Games who was demo who was showing it to me. I remember saying to him at the time that it, it kind of reminded me a little bit of like a sci-fi version of Summoner Wars. Oh, I remember that. Um, I remember it now. Yeah, because you have the uh, yeah. You have little cards, so you don't know what the miniature is. Yeah, because the card goes face down as you put it on, and you can you can uh, when you turn it over then replace it with your miniature. But it can be things moving around in stealth mode. Yeah, so yeah. it's kind of it really interested me the idea of uh, being able to move my army around without someone else knowing, but That's at the, the same thing. time trying yeah. to take account and trying to work out what that guy's up to, 
what that guy is going to do, what, where, yeah. what armies he's got out, and then when you turn them over and you do battle, uh, it, it did really interest me. And that so they just detect that there's a unit there, but they don't know what yeah. it is. Yeah, I, I looked it up uh, when I got back because I mean, I've, uh, it is still available uh, mm. to pre-order. Right. I think it's not out till the fourth quarter of 2017, mm-hmm. but it's another one that I thought, you know what, I probably would be interested in getting this because I, I didn't get to play it, I just got to look at it and, and to uh, talk about the game, mm. but it is one that I could quite easily imagine myself enjoying mm. because I do like Summoner, Summoner Wars because it's simplicity, Summoner and it Wars. seemed like it had a lot of that mechanical simplicity of Summoner Wars, but it had a lot more depth to the game particularly with the various stats of the units the fact that you can move yeah. around hidden that hidden movement factor and i like Isn't hidden a bit movement like games Stratego? Remember um, we played that and we i know i know it's not like that but that's got hidden stuff hasn't it you don't it, know what units things are yeah so that's see what you mean it's got that sort of element to it um and I, it was another game that actually, and the, the miniatures themselves were very good quality Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's the first game that that company has done with miniatures, but they seem to have done a, a good job of it. So if you want to have a look at, at that uh, pre-ordering, go to store.braincrackgames.com. Uh, make sure there's one left for me so I can get a copy of it myself when I've got some some cash because I'm kind of spent up after the expo. Oh, okay. um, but yeah, that was definitely one that I, I would say to look forward to. But mm-hmm. then there were other things as well because it wasn't just about uh, the games. There was a lot of there was a social element to it. So we had a really great time together. We met up with uh, Ryan and Whitam from from London as well, didn't we? We, we got yeah, to play some four like, player games. Yeah. So that that was who we were playing the games with, wasn't it? Yeah. Mostly. But I mean, there was just a really great social aspect to that. I mean, mm, we we went is, yeah. we arrived at a hotel on the Thursday, me and you, and we went down to the bar to just to go down and, and grab a drink, and we got invited to go over and play Colt Express. Uh, yeah, played with, a few games of that. With a guy called Gary who was there with his his son. So Gary yeah. and Jaden, if you're watching this, Hayden. hi. It's Hayden. You kept saying Jaden. Did I keep calling him Jaden? His you name did. was Hayden. Yeah, his name's Hayden. Oh, sorry, Hayden. That's why I kept shooting you in the game. <laughs> <laughs> well, he did shoot me a lot in Colt Express, and I wondered why. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But yeah, Colt Express was a really good game, wasn't it? I thought. Yeah. So we'd never played that, had we? I mean, it's a quite a well-known gateway game, but it was just one that I'd never got around to playing, and neither had you. We played the base game, and then we played the version that's got the horse meeples for mm. our little cowboy meeples to go on. <laughs> that was that was cool. What did you think of Car Express, Richard? Uh, I liked it. Um, the I thought it was nicely simple, but ended up being uh, hard to keep track of. Especially when we had the expansion as well. Before that, it wasn't so bad. And the aspect I like of it is the programming. Yeah. Which um, the the normal games that I know programming from are Game of Thrones and Room Twenty Five. Mm-hmm. And but they're both very You've different. Played others as well, haven't you? Like Forbidden Stars. That's programming. Yeah, uh, we played <laughs> uh, Star Wars Armada. Yeah, that was programming. I'm just limiting limiting it to ones I can remember doing okay. programming with. That's probably a good idea. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But the, the idea with this one is that we're all putting our cards onto one pile mm. and then the player who is the first player turns it over and then you just basically just have to do the moves in order <laughs> that are coming out. So, um, yeah, most of the time you get to see what other people are going to do, don't you? But on each round there'll be certain 
certain times when we're in a tunnel and that's when the cards are faced yeah, down. Yeah, and you and don't get to quite interesting. put down. Or yeah. uh, other times where you have to put two down together and people hide the one at the bottom by putting the one at the top visible. Yes, yeah, that, that happens as well. So I um, actually really enjoyed it. I mean, one of the things, because I, I, I do like programming in games, yeah. Um, but one of the things that you can usually do is uh, right up until like you finish programming, you can look back at what you've already done. Yes. Uh, so like if you mentioned room twenty five, you can check your tokens there, and same with something like Forbidden Stars or Game of Thrones, you can go hang on a minute, which order did I put down here, and you can have a look. With that, you've purely got to try and remember because when you're all putting them into a central pile. So the second that another card's gone on top, you can't go back and check what's underneath. No, which that means was good. that sometimes I was there and I was thinking I've got to put a, an action down and I don't know what I've already put down. <laughs> yeah, but I like the the fact that when we we're playing that game, we did just kind of go with it. If you yeah. forgot what you did, you, you just, just have you, to yeah. be surprised when it turns over. And there were times where there was like an entire round where because I'd put something down and someone else had put something down that I didn't know yeah, and kind so of stuff me off. It meant that I was trying to do. I'd like try and steal something from somebody in the carriage with me yeah. and I was on my own or you know Shoot I'd be trying to go there. up to someone that by this point had already gone down and we're just swapping places and yeah. things like that it was yeah, quite chaotic but it was fun you accidentally go to where the sheriff is yeah and get shot and yeah that was because you've effectively you've got these these little cardboard cutouts of like the trains and the carriages mm. and you're playing cards to move your meeple around and maybe pick up some treasure yeah um, or maybe shoot one of the other um, miscreants and there's just so much go, go, little things going on that as you say the programming is really interesting it's really important to get it in the right order mm. uh, because if you if you play it wrong you can completely stuff yourself up yeah. but I found it a lot more easier to work out what I was going to do and plan for what everyone else was going to do when it was the base game once we went into I mean I think the first uh, two games we played it was a base game and I, I got quite a big score at the end but then yeah. we went on to the uh, one with the expansion, mm. which was the carriage and the horses and everything. Oh, yeah, there was a carriage as well with a shotgun guy on top. Yeah, <laughs> and at that one, I was so... I don't know, there was just I just couldn't seem to get my head around the extra aspect of having that carriage and people being able to jump on a horse and no. move three carriages. And, you know, and it just... I think I, I had like an abysmally low score by the end. Right. Because every, there was a couple of times where I was programming actions and everything I programmed went wrong and so I ended up with like a couple of rounds where I literally did nothing <laughs> yeah well, that's and that's how it goes it, and that's 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 fun that's that's the chaotic element to it and I enjoyed it yeah um, I liked the um, bullet cards we had so I thought it was quite thematic because mm. I had like six guns and so you had six bullets in your guns and you just that was cards so you had this little deck of cards that starts with six bullets on it and if you shoot someone you basically give them that card mm. and basically so you're just giving them a bullet basically and it just goes into their deck it's a little bit of a deck builder mm. isn't it but you're building it with you start out where you've got all good cards and then you end up with these useless bullet cards so you mm. can just draw a load of cards and they'll be like <laughs> if you've been shot a few times you could end up just having bullets and I thought that was quite a good aspect because it wasn't terrible getting mm. shot but it just made future rounds mm. more annoying so that was another enjoyable game we've played there there was mm. uh, one of the things at the expo as well that was nice was the cosplayers 
Mm. There was a lot of cosplayers going around. We got to meet a number of them. We got to have some pictures taken yeah, with them. Yeah, there was a little corner that was like the cosplay. It was like an event stage, wasn't it? And they had a lot of cosplay events and skits going on there. Yeah. Little comedy performances that some of the cosplay characters yeah. were doing. I like Ramsey with Reek. He, Ramsey he was Bolton. funny. Yeah. And um, yeah, just that little show that they did um, where they all kind of went across. I mean, we just watched that on the Friday, wasn't it? We and saw that on the Friday and we watched them again, I think in one of the, was it the Saturday? So I remember we were, I think it was a Saturday, we were queuing to get into the Bring and Buy mm-hmm. and there was an enormous queue and it took us ages to go through, but we were entertained because there was uh, little skits going on and stuff still yeah, at the yeah, uh, cosplay stage. Stuff. So we yeah. just were watching that while queuing to get into the Bring and Buy, which was just ideal really. Mm. Um, but yeah, there was a lot going off in that corner and that's where a lot of the cosplayers seem to hang around and, and stuff if you wanted to meet and have pictures taken. Well, they were ad- kind of advertising the cosplay stuff in a way, but when we went round it, it seemed like the stuff wasn't actually for sale. It was oh, uh, yeah. that was it? There was like a... There was, there was an area that was behind, um, in the same area as the events. Uh, it was kind of between the events area and the bring and buy. Yeah. Uh, and uh, some of the stuff was for sale. They were selling. There was like a table with a few things, so you could get like a a steampunk R two D two, which just looked really That's cool. But not it was cosplay. I'm just talking about the cosplay stuff. Oh yeah, well they had some of the props that were there. I think were for sale, but yeah. most of them I think were just like displaying the things that they've made and, mm. and stuff like that. And I actually quite like looking at that. I mean, there was some pretty interesting stuff. Like there was a Mandalorian sniper rifle there, and yeah, some that various... had a harpoon in it. That's yeah. good. Yeah, <laughs> and that that was interesting. And I think also a lot of the cosplayers were using that as a place to organise like the cosplay events. And I think they were going there to sort of do any little repairs they needed to do to the cosplay yeah. and stuff but you were welcome to sort of go in there have a picture taken and and look at the various props and it was basically like a props display the area that was being used for this um but and some of the stuff there as i say was made to an incredibly high quality mm. uh, so that was fun to go and wander around um i met tabitha leons who's a cosplayer that i've uh, I like. She uh, was being some... Captain Nimue. Yeah, from Wild West Exodus. So they were advertising that for the whole thing, weren't they? Yeah, it uh, was. There were banners cool. all around for it, wasn't it? It was like a a Wild West uh, game that has uh, steampunk elements, science fiction elements. Mm. Sci- there's aliens so she was being in the Wild West. Wasn't she? so yeah, she's a professional cosplayer. Paid for that, but yeah, uh, yeah there was lots of people just dressed up as characters they liked and. Uh, yeah, there was um, a few Final Fancy people, and there was a Skyrim guy, which was cool, but I never got to get a picture with him. No, we wanted to see him. I kept we? seeing him sometimes, but like we were in the queue when he saw him again. Yeah. We'll find you next year, Skyrim guy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, but there was a lot, and there were some pretty good cosplayers. Some of those cosplayers were very good, mm. um, and I just love seeing people go around in cosplay, whatever, whatever like level of talent whole, or ability. I've, I like the whole idea of cosplay. It just makes it such a nice event. Well, it's like, you know, I gave to charity because Ariel and Belle asked me to. I mean, there's not many times you, you no, have to donate to charity by uh, by Disney princesses. Mm. And, you know that's how you collect for charity and yeah. there was it's just great fun to be able to be somewhere and see beloved childhood characters walking past isn't it yeah it's just and it's nice to just see that other people remember these characters as well it's not all new things that are coming out that are being yeah. pushed it's like um 
just whatever character you liked, even if it's from something, for a film from years ago, or like yeah. one episode of a programme <laughs> from years ago, and just go as that character if you want to. And uh, yeah, I felt like doing some more cosplay again. Mm. We've, only, we've done it a few times, haven't we? Yeah. <laughs> like, at uh, Comic-Con and stuff. So, um, but not the, it's been nice to go to a few events without worrying about it and just enjoy the fact that other people are in cosplay mm. because it is such a hassle going in a costume into like when I went to Dr. Horrible it was so um I mean the lab coat was fine but the mm. goggles just <laughs> like wearing them on my head the entire time it, yeah but this is one of the things and I will, I will say this because I was having a conversation um after the expo with with Richard and with some others about cosplay and one of the our friends uh, made the point that they feel really nervous about approaching a cosplayer um, and saying hello uh, and asking for a picture and I, I, I made the point to them well actually that's what cosplayers love because they love to see that you've recognized that character and you know asking for a picture with somebody in cosplay is yeah. basically the biggest way of saying that's an awesome cosplay yeah. that you can you can do I like to call them by the character name as well yeah. like go up and ask it like that Alice yeah, yeah. I went and asked her Alice, <laughs> she was Alice from uh, Madness Returns, so mm. she was the scary version. Oh, that was a really cool. One. And she did a great face as well for the picture, didn't she? That yeah, proper sort of... she actually looked crazy. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, I mean, I'd, yeah, well, there was quite a few there, weren't there? I mean, we met Electra. There was a really interesting, um, for me anyway, Captain Scarlet group. Yeah, they they were, and they, I like when they got interviewed and they were saying they were looking for more captains and stuff. <laughs> yeah. and, like, I imagine if we go to some more events, we might just see more and more. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> And we had, uh, I had a picture with uh, Captain Scarlet, Captain Ochre and Captain Black. Oh, they were shooting you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was a good photo. Uh, so there was some, I say there was some very good cosplay, and that's always something I enjoy when I go to these sort of conventions. Mm. Um, we got to meet uh, Tom Vassell and Sam Healy as well from mm-hmm. the Dice Tower, uh, which was really good, especially... Uh, I don't know if I've already told you this before, but w- when I was contemplating whether or not to make the Medicine Meeples, mm-hmm. uh, one of the things I saw was... A panel from last year's UK Games Expo, right. uh, which was Tom Vassell from the Dice Tower, mm-hmm. uh, Rodney from Watch It Played. Right. You remember Rodney, everyone's favourite Canadian rules explainer? Oh, yeah, yeah, he, he does it in a really smiley way. Yeah, yeah, he's such a nice guy. <laughs> yeah. And uh, Jamie from The Secret Cabal. Right. And they did a, a panel uh, talking about content creation and mm. uh, what sort of things to think about when you're starting a, you know, whether it's a blog or a podcast or a YouTube channel or anything mm-hmm. like that. And they, uh, it was a good, it was a really good panel, and it gave me some uh, extra impetus to start the medicine meeples because I was already thinking about it at the time, but wasn't sure about a few things. And yeah. so it was quite nice to actually get to meet Tom Vassell and talk to him about some of those things that we t- he talked about on that panel. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that was nice for me. And Sam Healy was such a nice guy, and his number yeah. one game is Twilight Imperium. So we got to talk about how we played Twilight Imperium with him. Yeah, because we'd all just. Uh... <laughs> had two days of playing that <laughs> which I really enjoyed yeah and I, I can't wait to it. play Twilight Imperium another another time yeah. we played Twilight Imperium we actually in the hotel room uh, one of the guys in our group brought two folding tables yeah. so we had to like move the third bed out of the way set up these two massive uh, folding tables between my bed and Richard's bed uh, and we started playing on the Thursday night and then went back to it on the Friday night but it just made like you'd wake up in the night with this light hitting on our empire in the middle well, of the room. <laughs> yeah, the, the lights in the room were pretty weird, and yeah. we could end up 
<laughs> we could actually leave one tiny light on just pointing at Twilight Imperium. <laughs> yeah. So we could actually see our empires in the night. It was just, yeah, it was, it's not, not often you can just uh, sleep next to your space empire. <laughs> <laughs> so um, that was fun. As I say, there was just so much. I mean, obviously, we have too much to talk about on one, one podcast, really. But um, I would say um, it would be good to be planning for next year if you're wanting to attend. The, I am. I am planning to attend. It's the now it's reached the the status of being the third biggest tabletop convention in the world. How, so, are, how many are there? Loads. Okay, that's all right then. Loads. It's not um, just three, everybody. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's not just a nice way of saying it comes last. It is mm. enormous. And I would say this because um, I'm going to ask Richard for in a minute what he what he would uh, say to anybody thinking about going to the expo. Um, but before I do that, I will say this. The people that are working at the expo, so the guys in the yellow shirts that are going around looking after everybody, um, all of those people are volunteers. Hmm. They're not paid. Uh, they're doing it for the love of games, for the <laughs> love of the convention. So if you have to ask any of them for help with anything or ask for any directions, if any of them make any requests to you, please work along with them and please thank them for what they're doing because if it wasn't for these guys we wouldn't have this amazing event to go to uh, and it is truly an amazing event I absolutely <laughs> loved it um, and it's these guys and their hard work and volunteer work and they're there before we are on the Friday they're there on the Thursday and I think some cases they have to be there Wednesday to get start getting things right. set up so it is a huge task that they do for free um, so be sure be nice to them and thank them, and if you can, buy them a beer. So, Richard, <laughs> they're going to be drunk now. Thinking about what we did at this expo and uh, and what we experienced there, what advice would you give to anybody that was thinking about going next year? Ah, uh, hard to give away the stuff that I want to do next year <laughs> because otherwise <laughs> my stuff might not work. But, no, um, he's, he's not going to reveal his fiendish plans in Yeah, not, not my fiendish fiendish plans, but. Uh, if you want to go to the bring and buy and you are not bringing a game, if you just want to go and have a look round, uh, you don't have to queue up with everybody because we did for a while, didn't we? We, did, we weren't bringing games to it, so we actually kind of wasted a bit of time in the morning. I don't know if that kind of held us back too much because we, we was just relaxing, mm. but um, there is like the, the cash only line. So that, that's one thing. You can just kind of go straight in. Though on the Sunday, the cash-only line was the long line, wasn't there? Because yeah. everybody already brought their games. Yeah. So so if you're there on the Friday morning, make sure you're in the right queue. I mean, we we, we how long were we queuing? About 20 minutes before we realised that we didn't have to be in that queue? And we're yeah, thinking, why I is went... everybody carrying all these games in here? <laughs> yeah, but I we kind of went off to find that girl who was Yuna. She kind of... We like went off and got some photos with some cosplayers while... Uh, Ryan and Simon were still in the uh, in the queue, so mm. that was all right. <laughs> but um, yeah, that and also, if you depending who you're going with and how many games they're likely to get, think about space in your car. Yes, because we found it logistically a bit difficult on the last day, and we <laughs> yeah we we managed it, didn't we? Just. Okay, just. <laughs> so what we did was we, uh, the games that we'd got, because I'd got some as well, which I wasn't really expecting to buy many games when I was there, but I bought a few that looked like really good deals. And 
so we put a few of the games in the boot of the car and then we had to take the rest of them to the expo with us because we'd had to check out the hotel mm. and this this was the problem and that was one of the most difficult walks we've ever done. <laughs> that really did feel like a quest. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it felt, basically. It felt like some sort of death march. I was just like dying yeah. as I was walking along, thinking, will we ever get to the expo? Or are these games going to kill me? <laughs> yeah, we got awarded a lot of experience for that. <laughs> yeah. So that's how we levelled up, is by remembering to think about the car space uh, next time. But yeah, so we, we went and got one of the um, shop and drop boxes and mm. just put them in there and then they were safe yeah and means uh, have to carry them around shop and drop is great as well make yeah. sure you get a shop and drop box because even if you buy just a few games you want to be able to wander around and look at the rest of them mm. and just relax and have a drink and just uh, play a few of the games and if you're looking at a few game boxes around it makes it less fun mm. so um, yeah try and get a, a shop and drop box because like you're saying about the volunteers like they, the people there were really great and it only costs a couple of pounds to get one of those. So, um, yeah, th- those are the, the main bits of advice because I think the rest of it, just by going, you will enjoy it. Mm. Um, I think yeah. um, advice I would give would be if you can, take a, maybe a small bottle of water or something with you because it does get quite warm depending on where you are. Like in the bringing bikes, there were so many bodies around. It, it it does get warm. You spent more time there than me. Yeah. Um, take cash if you can rather than card. Mm-hmm. Is that way? A, it's easier to keep control of or keep note of how much you're spending. But for example, in the bring and buy, it is cash only. And uh, mm-hmm. I didn't really have a problem with any of the stalls not taking card. They I was expecting readers. that some of them, like last year, w- didn't ha- wouldn't have the readers. But every stall I went to, they did. Uh, but even so, you'll need the cash for the bring and buy. Um, there are some good places inside where you can get something to eat and drink. Mm-hmm. Uh, obviously, some of the prices on there aren't great, but it it's it saves carrying uh, you know food around with you or whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I would definitely say take a small bottle, and if you can, maybe a, a small backpack just to put some of your little bits and bobs in. Yeah, it might be useful. I mean, I had a an IKEA bag that I I took and um, filled up as I was going round, but it was a there. nightmare to carry, wasn't it? Uh, yeah, because it just digged bit. in when it was. It made it. It was quite bulky, and it digged into your fingers. So next year, I might just take a backpack or rucksack or something. There like was that the guy actually selling bags, especially for games, wasn't there? That it had was. compartments in, but just for what you were carrying that day, particularly, mm. um, that wouldn't have really helped. No, but it I think ordinarily size. it would. It would help to have something like that. So, uh, so there are some things I would definitely say. Wear comfortable shoes, because you're going to be doing a lot of walking. Yeah, well, I did think ahead and do that. So yeah, <laughs> <laughs> and um, if you're a guy like me, maybe take some deodorant with you because you might need to put a little bit on after you've been walking around lugging loads of games all over the place. <laughs> you know, for everybody else's sake. Um, but, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I also I say I didn't feel like I needed a coat or a jumper or anything like that because it was so warm. Um, so I would if I turned up with like a jumper and coat and hat and everything I think I would have probably got too hot very quickly I think we were very fortunate that one day when we just got back to the hotel and then it started chucking it down yes so but there is a cloakroom there yeah just take a coat yeah just outside like the main entrance there is a cloakroom so if you think it might rain that particular day and you're not maybe getting on the bus or a taxi Mm. back to the car 
then you can uh, drop your coat and bag off or whatever at the cloakroom. Yeah. And they'll look after that there for you. So it is quite a well-managed, well-looked-after event, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, yeah. And I'm looking forward to next year now. And there's different yeah. places you can eat. I mean, there was, we uh, went to like a little uh, patisserie place yeah. a few times. And we had, they, they did some really nice drinks mm. and had a sandwich there. And But there's obviously the typical NEC food markets at the edges. And But we tended to go outside and go around to the Weatherspoons for something to eat as well, didn't that we? That was only just outside where the convention was one yeah yeah that was nice I and mean, it's not a normal uh, that they do it but this year because of certain recent tragic in- incidents we did have to have our bag searched as we went went through that but that like was one second yeah and they were very friendly because i was thinking you know they're going to start tossing stuff out the bag and everything but it was actually really professionally done very quickly very yeah, friendly didn't feel like it was intrusive or anything at all no no, they weren't judging you for what games you were bringing in. Yeah. <laughs> and people there were just happy. I mean, you just people would just love talking about things that they care about. So, mm. like, you just, I'd just be at a store looking at a game or something, and the person next to me would say something to me, or I'd say something to them, and we'd just get talking. And it was just a really nice atmosphere, I would say. Yeah, well, I, I ended up getting a game because the guy next to me recommended it. <laughs> so, yeah, and it was a good price. So. And there was some, uh, there was a lot of accessories. I mean, I was hoping to get some more coins, which mm. I didn't really get this time. Cause it we wasn't only saw really... a few of them, didn't we? Yeah, and I think they seemed to sell out a lot on the first day. Mm. But if you wanted dice, you could get as many dice as you could carry, and then some. I might um, be getting more dice next year. I think there's a few games I'd like to get next year, after I've enjoyed the games that we've already got. Um, but... I think also just getting some of the accessories to just like mm. trick out some of the games already got. Yeah. I mean, it, it, that was quite ex- inspiring, seeing uh, like the amount of different accessories and expansions and extra minis and extra mm. dice and sleeves for cards you can get, and alternate boxes for the games. Yes. That was amazing. There was, yeah, people had done these like chests specially designed for certain games. You don't have to keep them in the cardboard box anymore. So if you're going to keep the game forever. Mm. That, they were exactly. very good if you wanted to get like the expansions and keep everything in one place and yeah. together. I mean, one of the other things I found was as we were going round was mm. um, on the Sunday, towards the end of the day, some of the uh, sellers reduced the prices on stuff so that they can because yeah. they'd rather sell it than to maybe take it back with them. Mm. Um, but because someone had said to me, you know, if there's anything you particularly want, maybe wait until the Sunday and you might get it cheaper. But, of course, then you run the risk of it selling out. So, for example, there was a couple of games on my hit list that I wanted. Yeah. So, like, Ethnos and New Angeles. And I didn't get them. I didn't get Yamatai either. Um, Yeah, you just picked it up on the last day. I remember you uh, asking a guy for it, and then you picked it up, and then you didn't get it. Because from the bring and buy, it was cheaper, wasn't it? Mm. So, yeah. Um, But if you do wait, as I say, to the Sunday, then you run the risk. Because I saw a game called Room Wars. Uh, which we bought, I think it was on the Saturday, maybe, uh, from Chaos Cards. About that one, because there's two. Well, there's yeah, it's kind of strange because there's there's Rune Wars, mm. uh, and there's Rune Wars. There's Rune Wars with it all one word. <laughs> you just emphasize. And then there's yeah, there's Rune Wars that is all one word. Rune Vars. <laughs> and then there's Rune Wars with it, Rune and Wars being separate words. Yeah. And they are very, they are completely separate games, uh, both made by Fantasy Flight Games. Um, it's just a little bit unnecessarily confusing. It is. Um, but the one I got was the recent one that came out, and I paid £70 for that. Now, that I thought was a cracking deal, because um, on the internet, the cheapest I can get it from the same 
company was £10 more, £80. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I was really happy to get it for 70 So then we wandered around. But then on the next day, they'd reduced that price to 65 Yeah. Which kind of annoyed me until I went around the corner and saw another seller selling it for 89 Yeah. So definitely shop around because some of the new stuff is quite varied in prices because some of the companies are able to do it cheaper. The other thing is is that some of the stuff I saw in the bring and buy, I got some fantastic deals, yeah. but some people were definitely being overly optimistic with their prices. I mean, I saw prices that were in excess of second-hand what they were available new in the stalls yeah. outside. And in some cases, I mean, we got some cracking deals. I mean, you got a Sherlock Holmes Consulting Detective for £10, £10. Pounds second-hand. Someone else was trying to sell the same copy there for, well, not the same copy, but uh, Sherlock Holmes Consulting Detective secondhand at forty pounds, yeah. and then there were others where it was new at thirty pounds, and uh, you know, mm. it's kind of you just got to shop around. Don't just pick it up and and go, yeah, I'm going this and walk out. You can kind of tell sometimes what's a good price for something and what's over the top. And if you are selling something in the bring and buy, make sure that you secure the game because. Uh, there were boxes where people had tried to either not organize it properly inside or they tried to put like expansions and stuff into the main box right. and it was bursting yeah. and like you're finding little bits and pieces of components just spread around because it had, it had just burst open and lost pieces yeah and meeples and that's just tragic yeah. so definitely definitely make sure if you're selling anything that you make sure it's complete and it's if it's cool. not yeah. mark on the box that it's incomplete because otherwise you're going to end up with a very disappointed gamer yeah and that would be sad as well yeah but over yeah we thoroughly enjoyed the UK Games Expo so yeah, we did we are recommending that for next year we're going to be there ourselves I'm we're looking already, forward to it next year we've already booked our hotel room <laughs> yeah and uh we're very excited about that one already. Yeah, so for more gaming there. Yeah. yeah, definitely. So if you get the chance, check it out. There are a lot of smaller uh, games conventions through the year, so I might nip to one or two of those just to keep uh, just to keep you keep, going. keep me going until the next expo. <laughs> but definitely check out some of those gaming conventions. Yes. Well, that was fun. Let's carry on with the show. The Meeple's Alive! Hello, welcome to the Bard's Corner. Okay, so we've got some tour information first off uh, this month. We've got uh, news through regarding tours for the Grey and Bonnet Band, uh, Dirty Thrills, FM and Vega. Now, both the Grey and Bonnet Band and Dirty Thrills have got quite a number of dates. They're playing through June and through July, whereas FM and Vega have only got one or two in the in the July period so if you want to catch any of those gigs you need to check those out sooner rather than later that information is on the tour section of paradiserock.co.uk so if you want to see that then check that out um, some other news we've got for you first of all um, on the 7th of July Mr Big have got a new album coming out oh, that's a good one. Defying Gravity we've only had a like a preliminary listen to that one haven't we just yeah I like what I've heard you you said you thought it reminded you very much of a thunder sound this time. I did. Out. I wasn't sure. I didn't know it was Mr. Big when you put it on, um, but yeah, I thought it had quite a thunder. Th- yeah. There's one track yeah. on there in particular I quite liked called 1992. You can check out the audio for that on YouTube at the moment. Uh, that's got a bit of a quite a rhythm and blues feel to it, and it's got a very traditional Mr. Big sound. Um, now, for this album, it is the original members. So you've got. 
Paul Gilbert, Eric Martin, cool. Billy Sheehan, and Pat Torpe on the drums. However, it's not just Pat Torpe doing the drums, because sadly it's recently had a diagnosis of Parkinson's. So there's another drummer as well filling in on the songs that he couldn't perform on, um, a guy called Matt Starr. Now, Matt Starr is a um, fairly well-known session drummer. He's been on a, a number of other albums. Um, but having listened through to that album, it is quite a good one. We just haven't done a, a full review for it yet on Paradise Rock. Do you wish you had his name? Matt Starr. Yeah. <laughs> um, it does sound cooler than Matt Williams. <laughs> But uh, not quite as cool as Max Power. Oh, maybe I just like the idea of Heather Star. Well, you can be my star. Oh, thank you. <laughs> um, <laughs> one album that we did want to talk about to you in a little bit more depth this time round was Gothica by Ten. Now, we mentioned uh, on a previous Bard's Corner that Ten have a new album coming out on the 7th of July. We have been listening to it a fair bit this quite last a bit, week. Yeah. Um, and I'd say if, if you are a Ten fan, this, for me, could easily fit into one of their top five albums. I think it's a lot more like the older stuff they did. Um, more yeah, more things. so than any of the other mm. recent ones. Now, there's some absolutely fantastic songs on there. Some of my favourites included a song called Travellers, um, La Luna Dracula. Oh, that's one of my favourites as well. That actually, it's kind of funny because it's it's got a much more feel-good factor it. yeah <laughs> La Luna Dracula, Dracula. <laughs> uh, it's great listening to Gary sing that one as well but um, you would expect that to have quite a dark sinister sound to it but there is it's got a real feel-good yeah. factor there's a lot that. of upbeat songs I there think, is a yeah. lot of upbeat songs on this and there's a couple of songs on there that I thought would really fit into any sort of commercial rock radio mm. one of those in, in particular yeah, yeah in my I dreams like I really like that one um, and the other one was Welcome to the Freak Show. Oh yeah, that was actually quite a strange one. I thought I liked it; it was good. But um, when it first started, I was like, "What?" It's got like a, a circusy fairground. Yeah. Uh, it's a big good know, one to, to open. It. You know, doing it live. Yeah. With the beginning bit. That was a very good song. And another yeah. one called Jekyll and Hyde, which I think is going to be the second track released from the album. Yeah. That was quite a catchy one as well. But there was a few other ones. I mean, there was um, The Wild King of Winter. That's a good one. I really love that yeah. track. It starts off quite slowly. It's quite a powerful one. It's got um, almost a very sorrowful piece mm. of, of music at the beginning. But from there, it goes on to you know really fantastic mm. beats and really good solos. Um, Daryl Treesperch's very good on there on the keys as well so uh, one of the other highlights for me was Into Darkness the very last song on the album yes I love that and I love that the, one quite a lot I did I played that quite a bit I like the theme to it as well it mm. sort of starts off with like a, an old uh, cinema movie reel mm. and then you get uh, Gary Hughes start singing you know a cinematic masterpiece in Ashes on the Mantelpiece mm. a luminescence time could never fade one of the things I've always liked about 10 is the lyrics that Gary Hughes writes um, they are very very poetical in nature mm. uh, they tell great stories um, almost saga like and you can think of some of the examples from that from their back catalogue songs like yeah, Red, Robe, Arcadia, Robe, The Robe yeah. you know anything from Babylon which was a, a full mm. concept album um, and this album really does carry that through it really does yeah this, all the way through we're on various stories so for example there's one where we're on the crusades there's another one uh, where as i say it's all about like forgotten 
film starlets and the fickleness of mm. of Hollywood. There's other ones where we are riding with the damned in La Luna Dracula, and mm. there's some just absolutely fantastic different stories that are being told Even like through these songs. Ones, like in my dreams, it's more about um, how maybe a lot of people like into their geeky nerdy things were like their mindset as a kid and the sort of things that they were into. Is that how you interpreted that one, is it? Um, pretty much, but I was kind of thinking, oh, this <laughs> reminds me of what Matt was like. It must have been your childhood. Ah, <laughs> oh, well, you did say it reminded me of you. I thought it That's was just for a different what, reason. What, yeah. <laughs> but there are some no, absolutely fantastic like story-based songs on this, and I say it takes you on a real journey. Um, the, the first song that came off the album, uh, Paragon, Funnily enough, that I've having listened to the full ten track album. Yeah, that's my least. Favorite. That's actually my yeah. least favorite. I thought it. Yeah. Like, it's not that I don't like Paragon oh, because no, no, I do like gorgeous, Paragon. Yeah. The more I listen to Paragon, the more I like Paragon. It's There's just, just that better ones on there. Every other song on that album is superior, <laughs> you know. Yeah. Um, and I did give it a nine point five for Paradise Rock. I still think that's mean. I'm sorry, that well, is really mean. <laughs> it may end up being uh, like the only album that I've reviewed and then later gone back and changed the rating upwards. I think it's me. Um, Half a because, point. No. Because I do absolutely love this album. Now, right back at the beginning of the year, when I first heard Eclipse Monumentum, that, I was thinking, is undoubtedly going to be the album of the year. For me. Hmm. Um, it was absolutely fantastic, really up-tempo. Um, unlike this album, with Momentum, I could pick off my favourite track quite mm. easily, um, which was Never Look Back by Eclipse. That was just an amazing song. With this one, I'm finding it a little bit more difficult to decide which of the songs on, on this album is my favourite, because there are so many good songs. Not just that, but I think, I mean, we like ten for quite a while, you a lot longer than me, and you've spoken to Gary Hughes and you know what they're capable of I think you have a lot higher expectation to be honest well um, possibly so I mean I always expect a very high standard from 10 and I would say that this meets with that standard oh, yeah. you know it is absolutely fantastic on Paradise Rock I described it as a rich tapestry of an album full of beautifully written songs with fantastic guitars great rhythm and keys all overlaid mm. with the rich voice of Gary Hughes it is one of my albums of the year without a doubt so far this and Monumentum by Eclipse are vying for the number one spot mm. and I'm, I won't make my decision until the end of the year after which I'll have listened to them both a lot lot more we're going to have a fallout if you don't put it to <laughs> <laughs> it's not fair you've um, got to keep it's ten out of ten for ten well it could, it, it could well be en ending up being revised upwards um, because the more I say be. the more I've been listening to it and funnily enough Quite often, once I've reviewed an album, I don't then go back and, and listen to it again for a little while, because I usually listen to it quite a lot before I write the review. Mm. Um, so then I'll, I'll listen to maybe the next album I'm going to review or something else. This time round, within, within a day or so of having finished the re review, I wanted to go back and listen to some of those tracks again. <laughs> you're going, and I was enjoying it. you'll like this one. <laughs> yeah, I was enjoying it even okay. more at that point, so... It could well be that this will be like the only album I've ever revised upwards, which would take it from a nine point five to a perfect ten. Yeah, so I might have some encouragement. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, it is an absolutely fantastic album. I can't recommend this one enough. Um, I'd actually, by the time it got to track three, which was the Travelers, I'd been and pre-ordered it on for myself on Amazon. Um, 
just because it's absolutely fantastic. As I say, so many songs on there that were vying for my favourite song on the album because there was, you know, uh, Wild King of Winter, A Man for All Seasons, which again, I absolutely loved. And the beginning of that track, it sounds like it puts you into the mind of being in some sort of medieval joust. Yeah, the yeah, way that, quite like that, you know, the trumpets and everything. It's just absolutely incredible album. If you're a 10 fan, this is going to have you salivating. Um, but if you want to get a full review of this, go to paradiserock.co.uk we've got the review on there um, I actually talk about every single song on, on the album in the review which again is something I don't normally do but it's a, a testament to how much I really enjoyed this album that, that I wanted <laughs> yes, to talk about everyone 5. you're going to get some horrible comments <laughs> <laughs> well as I say it, um, at the time I wrote it it would have been a 9.5. I think if I was writing that review now, I think I would possibly be leaning more towards the 10. So, as I Not say, by the time <laughs> by the time this airs, people might go and check out the review on paradiserock.co.uk. See me dropping the website address in there again. They might see me. That. They might go to paradiserock.co.uk to um, to check check it out again and leave comments. Well, they might leave comments. Uh, they're welcome to leave comments because I'd love to see what people think about it. But by the time they get there, this could well be a 10. Um, as I say, it's out on July the 7th um, via Frontiers Music SRL. Whether or not you are a fan of, of 10 already, please check this album out. Now, I say that because Gary Hughes and 10 have been around. Well, Gary Hughes has been around as a solo artist before 10. Mm. 10 have been around as a, a band for 22 years. The only original member or the longest serving members of of the band obviously Gary Hughes is the main singer and songwriter uh, John Halliwell and Steve McKenna yeah. the others have been around this will be their third al- album as a collective unit uh, which is Dan Rosengarner, Steve Grocott um, both as guitarists because of course yeah. 10 has three guitarists because one or two just isn't enough yeah. for the music they play um, Max Yates on the drums and Daryl Treesperch on keys now we know Daryl, don't we? What's his nickname? No, what do we call him? <laughs> He's gonna kill me. It's well, I say what we call him. It's what his uh, general nickname is. It's. I don't do Facebook. Daryl the Shadow. That's it. I know it was something we were people call him. The, I didn't want to be. He's, he's had that nickname, the Shadow, guess, for a yeah. long time. But to be honest, he's like the only person I know whose real name is cooler than his uh, his the nickname. Yeah, I mean, the, the Shadow's are quite is a cool, cool. Uh, nickname. But Treesperch, that's a pretty cool surname, <laughs> Daryl Treesperch. Uh, also, if you're a prog fan, he plays with uh, Nth Ascension, didn't he? Mm. So, but yeah, be sure to check this one out. Um, they've had a long musical history. Uh, this is their 13th studio album. And for a band to stay together this long, there's usually a good reason for it. Yeah. There's still an audience for what they do, even after all this time. But as as you said earlier, this goes back to... Uh, very much in the vein of their some of their early albums. Yeah. I think a lot mind. of long term fans, but will be better very produced, happy with it. much better produced than the original yeah, than definitely. the early albums. But that the, that sort of feel of the epic songs and I mean the yeah, Grail I think is about eight songs. minutes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They've got a lot longer songs, haven't they? Yeah. So yeah. check. Be sure to check that one out. Um, there is another album I wanted to talk to you briefly about. We're, again, we've not done a full review of this album, but that was a uh, All Forty One is the name of the band. World's Best Hope. Now, I've only listened to about half the songs on this album, so it'll probably be getting a full review at a later date. But it is essentially like an AOR supergroup. 
Um, on the vocals is Terry Brock, who was the lead singer of Giant, lead singer of Strange Ways. Also, Robert Berry on vocals and on bass. Uh, Gary Phil from Boston on guitar. We've also played with Sammy Hagar. And the aforementioned Matt Starr. <laughs> He's played with Ace Freely and, as I've already said in this episode, with Mr. Big as well on drums. So, this is a melodic rock supergroup. Cool. And some of their stuff if you like giant if you like strange ways if you like three or alliance this is an album that you want to check out that's again out on the 7th of july um some really beautiful melodic rock on that album uh, looking forward to having a full review of that at a later time but as i say if you want to check out any more of these tour dates read any bit more about the albums that we've been talking about um please go to paradiserock.co.uk uh, check that out. You can also find Paradise Rock on Facebook and Twitter. So please be sure to stay with us for all your melodic rock music needs. How many times can you say Paradise Rock in one? <laughs> what can I say? We don't get many sponsors. We're melting. We are genuinely melting so here in the studio. It is so warm. We, we didn't put the fan on so that you could hear us better. That's how much we care. We are going to be jet plasting here straight into our faces oh. as soon as this recording is finished. Oh yeah. Enjoy the heat, have a beer and stay meddlesome. Bye. Tiny Meeples Big Talk and Welcome to this episode of Tiny Meeples Big Talk Richard did once point out we, we talked about Star Wars on our last Tiny Meeples Big Talk, didn't we? Yeah And Richard did once point out that we have to uh, keep a real balance between the two And if we didn't, the punishments were horrific They are So yeah. here we are this week to talk to you about Star Trek Now, we this was a an idea that Richard had uh, which was wh- who would you pick to make the all-star bridge crew yeah like, who would be who would you pick to be your crew basically if you were going to pick a crew to um, to run a starship <laughs> a Star Trek starship it doesn't matter which one I mean you can also pick which ship I suppose but um, obviously they each character fulfills different roles. I mean, in each series, you've got different characters mm. doing the same kind of jobs. So if you could choose from between all of them, mm. which ones would it be? Now, we did uh, think about, well, briefly about this, uh, astrometrics. There's only real... Because um, you, you said there was no astrometrics officer with some of the other ships. Well, and I kind of thought Seven was the only one out of, like, main ones. And uh, you pointed out there was one in Enterprise, well, you say? I, I kind of was right and wrong in that because I thought about it because I, I said to you now I'm fairly sure there was one It what they had in on the next generation was a stellar cartography department and they, there was a head of stellar cartography uh, a Lieutenant Darren she only appeared in one episode and she was a yeah. love interest for Picard uh, but that was stellar cartography not astrometrics but later on they repurposed the stellar cartography lab and converted it into an astrometrics lab when? but they never really mentioned in I think it was season 7 of Star Trek Next Generation but they never really had a specific astrometrics officer so what we decided was was that everybody gets to have a 7 of 9 on their crew yeah because she's I kind of just thought she invented it as a department yeah. because she and Harry built that astrometrics lab mm. And they basically modelled the whole galaxy there, didn't they? And I thought well, that was an amazing idea. Yeah. And it's. I think she was the first person to officially have 
as particularly as a recurring role, that role of astrometrics officer. Yeah, but it wasn't it the first as a one program. on the. Yeah, like if you were basically the the main roles that are in the TV program, mm. what you can have, and for that, I mean, you also mm. get like Keiko being a botanist, but you mm. don't need to have a botanist in every ship. No. Things like that can be basically. In well, the I wouldn't mind department. if everybody got a Keiko for the ship. Because every yeah. ship, botany would be a part of it, but it wouldn't be a bridge officer role, would it? No. And what we've been mainly thinking of is like the main department head Get roles. Get a plant up here, quick! <laughs> yeah. But um, they, yeah, certain departments would have certain um, roles in mm. it, but we're kind of thinking of department heads, basically, yeah. aren't we? Yeah. So um, we've all said that as a freebie, we'll start off with astrometrics, and everyone gets a seven of nine. So, so okay. Seven. Seven of nine. So, thinking about this, uh, Richard, had you decided who was going to be your ship's chief engineer? The chief engineer, I thought of that, well, just personally, I would like to have Balana. Just because she, um, I just like that character as she has. Like, they're all competent, like, mm. in every single. So and like Scotty would always be kind of telling you that he can't do things, then he can do things. Um, well, he's a miracle worker. Yeah, but then he did kind of let the game away when he said that's what he does. <laughs> <laughs> and um, LaForge does a, a similar thing. I I do I, I really like uh, LaForge, LaForge is cool, but he, yeah. and he's incredibly efficient. He's an excellent engineer. Yeah, but he's quite straight cut, isn't he? In, in a way. Mm. Um, but he is a, a very cool character. O'Brien has a lot of personal demons. <laughs> and he, he, I, li- I like him, but um, I, I kind of like him being on DS9 and uh, like playing around in the holodeck, doing the uh, Alamo and stuff like that. Mm. It seemed like he's happier there than on a starship. <laughs> I, <laughs> so I, you're getting mad I have to admit, for my engineer, I was kind of torn. I mean, I, I thought of Geordie and dismissed Geordie for the reasons I said, you know, because mm. I like... He's a very straight cut character, and he's really, you know, he's a really good character. Um, but I thought that some of the others just had more interesting things. I mean, you mentioned uh, you discarded O'Brien because of some of his personal demons. Well, that was one of the reasons why I was sort of thinking O'Brien. Yeah, he wasn't my he actual wasn't choice. Yeah. yeah, but that was that was it because I like crew that have got mm. a, a, you know, some variation. I, I mean, I was really tempted with Scotty because Scotty is just. Yeah, you know, I grew up admiring Scotty. Uh, but I went for Balana as well. Did you? I oh, went for BLT. I okay, so you've got BLT, yeah. <laughs> I, and I like the way she always calls Harry Starfleet, even yeah. though she's back in Starfleet yeah. as well now. <laughs> well, she's incredibly feisty. She's got so much spirit. I mean, she reminds yeah. me in that way of Kira Norris. They've yeah. both had uh, similar backgrounds. I mean, she's half human, half Klingon, yeah. so but she has different marquee. cultural things to deal with. I mean, she was doing the same fight as Kira, wasn't she? Mm. Basically, when she was against the, the Cardassians. Yeah. And, you know, but she is an amazing engineer, and I don't think sometimes people give her credit, because, I mean, just think how difficult it was to keep that starship running yeah, I in was, the Delta Quad- Quadrant. I was thinking a lot about the times when Janeway was really impressed with Alana's. Um, like engineering skills and stuff mm. and knowledge it's like even though she couldn't live by the academy's rules and yeah did better under the marquee she was um yeah a brilliant engineer and you just have to cope with a bit of her punching people in the face stuff like that but yeah the rest of the time yeah great engineer so we've, so. we've actually i 
didn't think we'd both go for Balana, but we we have both gone for Balana. So, yep. pick an officer. Which officer? Any officer. Oh, okay. Who have you got for science officer? Science. Now, again, this was one where I was really torn, but only between two characters mm. here. Uh, actually, now I say that, my first thought was, um, a, you know, a bit of a, shall I go with Spark or shall I go with Data? Yeah. But Data sort of fulfilled the science officer's role, but he was technically not the science officer. He was well, technically the he was he kind of filled that capacity, but he officially he was the, the officer. operations officer. Operations officer, yeah. Um, but in the end, I made the choice with Jadzia Dax. Oh, yeah, that's um, a nice one. Yeah. Dax again, one of my favourite characters in there. Uh, she used to be at times described as a bit of an action Barbie. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, um, but she was an incredibly described intelligent. <laughs> Not by me, no. Uh, she was an incredi- incredibly intelligent character, having the, the, the Dax symbiont gave her quite a lot of dimensions. And, and she loved life. The yeah. same as Dr. McCoy. Yeah. Yeah. There's um, nice when characters are like that. And she could draw on so much life experience that I thought I so had to have lives. her on my, uh, on my crew in some capacity. Yeah. And I was kind of torn because I, I, I initially wrote her down for the uh, helm or flight controller position. Right. Uh, but in the end, I went for science officer. For okay, that. so she you're a science officer. So, for me, I've gone with Spock. You went with Spock. Yeah, just because... Um, for one thing, it's just the, the classic. Mm. And, um, and it's such a, a great character. And also, just the sheer... Well, they've all got the knowledge basically but I mean Spock's got so much knowledge and it's like it would be nice to have at least one character being logical mm. above all else <laughs> that might be a problem with my crew <laughs> it kind of um, offsets the Balana character so you've got Balana very emotional but mm. she still knows her stuff but then Spock is going to be bringing the logic even at the expense of everything else. Like you've seen when Spock was in charge, like in the Galileo Seven, things mm. like that, and how it doesn't go very well. But when it's with other characters, and when he's not directly in command, then yeah, he's a really great character to have. And uh, yeah, I just thought it'd be great to be in a ship that has Spock. I was so torn because I really wanted Spock on the crew, <laughs> but I just, as I say, making Dax, a party planner. Yeah, Dax. <laughs> had even more uh, years of experience because of the symbiote. Yeah. Mm. Um, and well, some of the lives you're just dossing, so... Some of them. <laughs> yeah. Some of them. Um, and I even thought of Data yeah. in that role. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I was capacities. very... I think he could outperform Spock, uh, but there was just kind of like a, a childhood in my head of watching the original series and wanting Spock on the crew yeah. and I didn't find a place for him in the end the, the ship I'm imagining being on is Voyager partly because I'm wearing this which you told me was a an actual prop from Voyager which is why it doesn't fit me great but it fits me okay but I think that's really that's cool why you couldn't turn down wearing it for the episode <laughs> definitely <laughs> not I was, I was at first a little bit against it but yeah this is great like, yeah. and um, also I just like the Voyager ship um, being a little science ship that was kind of scrappy thing. I mean, I know before when I talked about what ship I'd like to live on, I chose Enterprise D, but I'm thinking a bit more about command here. And 
I really like Voyager, but I'm thinking if I've got Spock as the science officer, then I'd have to have on the bridge, have to cram on one of those Spockoscopes, as yeah. I call them in future. So it could like stare in. Look down that blue thing. <laughs> <laughs> Even if it does nothing. But, yeah. Okay. So for s- science, I've got Jadzia and you've got Spock. So yeah. pick a role, Richard. I'll pick another role. Have you got tactical down as one? I have got tactical down. Okay, who have you got for tactical? Worf. <laughs> Worf. Yeah, that that is a great tactical officer, actually. <laughs> well, it was kind of because I was think- originally I was thinking of Worf for security, which is mm. his role in Next Generation. Uh, but then he in Deep Space Nine... He's more in a tactical role where he's coordinating fleet movements and the ships around Deep Space Nine. Well, and he's still, yeah, yeah, he's still involved in security and is is always there when there's a melee going on. Yeah. And Worf is just is actually Michael Dawn has appeared in more episodes of Star Trek than any other actor. I know. I've watched them all, <laughs> and um, he is often in Star Trek. And he's just <laughs> a beast, isn't he? He's just yeah. absolutely amazing in. In, as Worf it's such an interesting uh, character I mean uh, it's such a strong character but also there's little little f- funny idiosyncrasies that come out what would you say on. is one of the uh, your strongest memories of Worf as a character as, as well in the actually that what I'm thinking of at the moment is things that are in DS9 mm. particularly when he fought loads of Jamadar in that when they were in the prison camp that's exactly what I was going to say is it yeah. alright and the other one was With when ben he Martok went Martok supporting him and he's fighting and, cool. and he goes through yeah. one after the other right up until the first and they keep sticking Garrick in the wall even and he's like refusing to back down even though he's got broken ribs yeah, and yeah. he keeps going and pressing that thing so that's kind of the quintessential and the Jemadar says thing. I cannot defeat this man I can only, I can kill, only him. kill him yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah that was great yeah and then he talks about it later doesn't he how he had that kind of warrior moment with Martok and <laughs> you can kind of think back to the episode the other one I think of him mainly of is um, that one when he be- went back to save Jadzia yeah. when they were running through the forest the Klingon hearts beating yeah yeah that one and um, because that really screwed his career up didn't it because it, like that's basically why he didn't get to have a ship yeah. of his own he I would always, obviously have had one by now always made me smile as well uh, so actually we see him in, a, in command in one of the Star Trek films don't we First Contact when he's flying the Defiant he's in command of the Defiant yeah like I said it's um, a little ship yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, no but because there's a one of the things in in Deep Space Nine was when um, Jad, Jadzia tells Cisco that he intimidates Worf oh well, he, he's really happy like, isn't he he's, like, he's happy and he's yeah. laughing like, I intimidate Worf <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that was the a, only that person was that moment. can intimidate Worf. Um, but yeah, so I mean, that guy—if there's anybody you want at your side in a melee, yeah—it's gonna be Worf, isn't it? I mean, he's probably the greatest warrior that we see in Star Trek. Well, if it's going to be purely tactical, then yeah, it's got to be Worf, really. So I'm gonna put that down. We're both going for Worf. Okay. Yeah, I'm kind of keeping track of yours on here. So. Oh, you keep. Oh, you comparing? Yeah. Um, I'm also. Because he's in tactical, got a security role, and that was uh, gone for Odo. Yeah, he loves the policing. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> because and because he's a shapeshifter, he is so effective as a policeman. And I've got to have somebody on my ship that can be uh, watching Quark. Yeah, you do. If you, <laughs> even if he's not on your ship, I need to know he that will somebody still be watching is making Quark. arrangements <laughs> to be still yeah. watching Quark. So having um, the Ferengi under surveillance. 
is yeah. the main aspect. Because there's things that he does as a security officer because of um, being a shapeshifter, mm. where he's able to sneak aboard ships and solve crimes and. And it's, it's not just, just absolutely that. incredible. Even if he wasn't, even when he's a solid, because he is a solid for a little while, mm. he is still a great police officer. Yeah, isn't he? because he's just got a, a great policeman's instinct, he and he's it. suspicious of everybody. Yeah, uh, it's one of his best qualities. But as well as that, he'd be such a useful person to have on the crew because he could go into environments where they don't need oxygen, uh, yeah. where gravity's an issue. Uh, he can he can change into all sorts of different creatures and mm. and useful things. So definitely, I want Odo on the crew as security. I don't know if... I was thinking about the security, Rob, because normally it kind of goes with tactical, doesn't it? Because mm. Worf was both tactical and security mm. on the Enterprise, but then on DS9 he was tactical and intelligence, wasn't he? Because I remember when Dr. Bashir had to take over for him and he wasn't read all the reports mm. and keep them to himself and he hated it. So, um, But I think in the original series, I don't think there was a... Was there a security officer? There were security. There were security guys, but they died every week. Maybe that's yeah, but this is it. That's because there was no one running the department. <laughs> maybe that's what it is. Yeah, maybe they had just an empty desk with dust on it, <laughs> and Kirk was just having to write letters to families all the time. <laughs> but yeah, so I think it was a little bit more utopian back then, mm. um, because it was like back when Gene Roddenberry was was calling the shots a bit more, and. Um, yeah, I think really in DS9 that was when security kind of became an issue because they were <laughs> they were making the show a bit darker, weren't they? Everything, but obviously in um, I I just wanted to be a bit different. I mean, Odo is wonderful for mm. security, but I'm gonna have Yar on mine. Yar, it, Tasha Yar. Yeah, really, because I'd like to have a universe where she was alive again. <laughs> 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 it was sad when she died. So I'm here early. for you, man. I'm here for you. <laughs> Thanks, man. <laughs> I know she was like back as Sealer for a while, but um, it was just sad to have a, a character die so early. You know, I remember and... when I first started collecting Star Trek uh, CCG cards when mm. I was a kid, and I got a Tasha Yar card, and I was so excited I got a Tasha Yar card, and yeah. then I was like, but she dies so early on. <laughs> yeah, and it and as they said in it, it was like meaningless as well. It was yeah. a dis- display of power by that stupid Tar guy, but um, yeah. It's just like that. her backstory was that she was on this really kind of dystopian planet mm. and she'd kind of come from that kind of thing. So I just thought. So it's her background that you like? Yeah, yeah, the fact that she's kind of bringing those kind of things to security. Okay. And partly because I don't want my ship to be exactly the same as yours. Yeah. So we have a different science officer and different security ones, but we've got the same tactical and engineer. So okay. we'll just see how it goes from. We've both this gone point for Klingons on. in those departments. Yeah, but I really do like Odo. For security, that's great, but a bit the same as O'Brien. I like him being on DS9. Mm. I don't like to think of him being on a ship so much, but that, that's just my personal thing, and mm. it's and it's my crew, so I'll <laughs> <laughs> do what I want. Yeah. <laughs> who, who have you got on medical? Medical, I have and... gone for the DS9 route and chosen the guy who's genetically engineered, Bashir. Julian Bashir. Yeah, why yeah. have you gone for Bashir? Partly because of the fact that he is um, genetically engineered, but partly I do like the character because um, he was a little bit similar to Harry Kim, just very, very optimistic and happy to be there and uh, just wanted to experience the galaxy and stuff like that. And it's nice to have a character like that. Mm. 
and when you can have him also be hyper intelligent at the same time it just it just seems like that would be a real benefit i was it was a toss up between him and flux from enterprise because okay. i liked i liked his menagerie of creatures that he had because i think it was a really good idea mm. in enterprise to have him go the more kind of biological mm. like using creatures for their medicinal properties route mm. which is what we do here on earth like basically searching the rainforest for cures for diseases and it's just interesting for that to happen in the future but mm. for multiple planets rather than just use gadgets mm. like like the others do so who have you chosen well i actually i thought a little bit about the emh from voyager because the yeah. emh is a good choice but, but i've still thought, got him in a pinch yeah <laughs> <laughs> I, thought, I thought the emh would be a good choice but if power ran out, it would be difficult. And it took a long time to get to a good EMH. He wasn't good from the beginning. Yeah, the you same... need the 29th century thing yeah. that he had on. And you might not get that. The other thing I was sense. thinking was, because, uh, you know, I liked Crusher when she came back after her disappearance from the next generation. Mm. Um, and she was trying different things. And she was a much better character, better written, and better acted, I'd say, as well. But that was because Gates McFadden was doing yeah. a... She had more input into that character at that point, yeah. which is why she came back, and uh, she, she did a great service when she did that. Mm. But in the end, I went for Julian Bashir because he is a yeah. great doctor. He's is brilliantly clever, um, great to have in a pinch. Uh, he's actually when you find out he's genetic engineered and he starts to not hide his abilities in different things, which he'd mm. done previously. You start to realise just how useful he is. I mean, he's. He's like a little computer, like data sometimes, working out figures incredibly fast. Yeah. Uh, increased hand-eye coordination, which is good if you come into a fight. Mm. And he's just generally a good guy. So you've got a bit of a ship full of computers, haven't you, really? I, well, I've got some very clever people on my ship. And yeah. um, I would like to think of as being an intelligent crew. So, But he's my medical choice. Yeah. Uh, who have you got for Helm? Helmsman. Did like... you pick a Helmsman? I did, yeah. Um, Are you worried that I might have picked the same helmsman? Tom Paris. One of my favourite characters in Voyager. And actually, <laughs> beyond that, I just think Tom Paris is a very good, good character. Well, you need the rebel without a cause to be on that. <laughs> <laughs> well, he, he's just all about piloting, but mm. also he has loads of other interests, and I think he would make the crew a bit more fun. He was up, He was constantly kind of answering back to Janeway and all stuff like that one too so I think that would be interesting we get to play as Captain Proton Hollow programs and I mean just look at the people I've got like he'd be on there with Spock and Worf you'd need somebody bringing a bit of character to the bridge mm. so and, and he also are you is suggesting a... that Worf doesn't have character oh he he has to order prune juice all the time I mean <laughs> <laughs> take a ward on the wild side but... I mean, yeah, Tom Paris, I think, is a bit of an underrated character sometimes because he was very well acted, very well played. Mm. Um, but he had some very good survival skills because he grew up in a bit of a rough... Uh, he's very much ready in a bar. He mm. knows his way around. Yeah, um, and also... He's got street smarts. And also, Galana's <laughs> yeah. uh, in engineering, so if I've got Tom, he can be happy. Actually, yeah. You know what? I didn't think of that. <laughs> You're not thinking about these characters' love lives, I are you? I mean, I've got I've got Jadzia and Wolf together. I've got Bolana and Tom together. I've got a lonely Wolf. You've got Bashir's a lonely... going to be pining for Jadzia as well. <laughs> <What>? <laughs> 
So yeah. No. So so um, we've both yeah. gone with Tom Paris. We always found him quite a funny character as well. I I watched all these with my sister, and we just found it funny that Tom Paris was such a rebel, but also mm. he was just such a clean cut guy as well. It's like he was he was spoken about as being such a rebel, but he was also just such a nice normal yeah. guy. And so it's like. He's basically the Starfleet version of a rebel, yeah. which is still just a stand-up is. member of the community. I mean, it's not like he's not like Harry Kim in the <clears throat> sense of being really naive. He's got a lot of street smarts, but he is mm. genuinely a nice guy who wants to help people. It's still a bad but he just makes on Harry. a lot of mistakes. Yeah, um, but yeah, one of the best ones of Voyager, I think, is where he gets uh, gets demoted. I think it was very interesting to have an episode where a character gets severely disciplined like that. Mm. So yeah, he was a very interesting character. Yeah, I thought. And plus, I just thought, as a pilot, have someone who loves the piloting. Because mm. I know on um, on the next generation, they went through a few, didn't they? Really, Helmsman. They didn't have the same one for a long time. No, uh, but obviously, with um, with being on out in the Delta Quadrant, they just had a particularly one guy pretty much running the show. You're saying they had that. to just have what they had. <laughs> well, there were, there were other helmsmen, yeah. but he was the standout one. And actually, and Janeway he went was to the, the um, to get him. He was so the third good. officer as well, wasn't he? He yeah. was never actually specifically said, um, but if you actually look at some of the dialogue, so the, you, you the just command structure... <laughs> between the lines. No, no it okay. was, there were times where like it was made clear that he was in command because Tuvok, Chakotay and Janeway weren't there. And so he was in charge, which would put him in the role of third officer. I just remember that episode of... Uh... There were several instances where it was like that. Plus there was uh, an in- another one where it was kind of like a... I think it was like an alternate reality or something like that. But it was Chakotay, Tuvok and, and then um, Paris in command. Mm-hmm. But yeah, he was the... You can read between the lines there. With some Until of the, the things M- that were EMH turned himself into the ECH. Yeah, emergency to command. <laughs> yeah. Um, but then... So yeah, so Tom was just a great character. But now we've gone through a lot of these. Uh, I've only got three roles left. Uh, operations. Forgot about operations. You forgot about operations. Uh, Let me just think about what the options are. Well, while you're thinking about that, I'll tell you who I chose. Okay. Data. Now. Hang on. Okay, I see. He can do both roles, can't he? He is. I thought of two datas then. <laughs> well, no, I've only got one data. Oh, who was your, oh, your science with Jazzy, wasn't it? Yeah, oh, Dax was yeah. the science officer. So the only role I've got for data is ops. And I think having data on the ship in any capacity is a good idea. Yeah. Um, because he's just an all-round great person to have on the ship. Mm. Incredibly intelligent, incredibly useful as a crew member, uh, and one of my favourites in Star Trek. Yeah. Brent Spiner did a great job of bringing data to life. Yeah, I think yeah. That, that is a, a good choice. I mean, I know I have said before that I would. Actually, I can kind of have my cake and eat it with the uh, engineers because I'm pretty sure. Wasn't. Uh, but who was the operations in DS9? It was one Miles Edward O'Brien. I'm going to have him. And I was torn between Miles and Data, but I just thought Data is so much useful in other other aspects. Well, your ship's going to be very logical, and mine is going to be nice and Irish. <laughs> <laughs> Which is how I want my ship. Nice and Irish? You've only got a Brian. He's well, an Irishman. Yeah, but he's so Irish. <laughs> he's so Irish. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Miles Edward O'Brien. Yeah, okay, yeah, we'll give you that one. Okay. Um, and he can hang out with B- Bashir. And they can yeah. go on the holodeck there. 
Yeah, well, I think uh, Bashir is also going to be friends with my data. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> good luck with that one. Because <laughs> well, well, they both think alike. <laughs> yeah, because <that's laughs> with this genetic engineering. Yeah, you know, it's, it's somebody that could possibly beat him at darts, isn't it? Exactly, yeah. exactly. So there's only two roles left. Yeah. I know who my captain and first officer are. I'd right. like to hear who your who your first officer is. My first officer. The obvious choice is Riker, but I didn't want to go with the obvious choice for mine. Um, I was kind of tempted about um, to pull. Mm-hmm. She was basically the first officer, but also the science officer of Enterprise. But I thought I've already got Spock to be the Vulcan. I don't want to be speciesist, but like he's one Vulcan's enough. <laughs> oh, he's filling the logical, lo- the logical kind of role there. Mm. I don't want to be like that captain on that episode of DS Nine who only has Vulcans. <laughs> I think so. Yeah, that that was a bit nasty. So, I actually wanted to have Kira because of ah, her scrappiness and I nearly went with yeah, Kira and uh, just her very strong ways and. Just like Yar, it's her past, basically. Like she can bring those kind of experiences to the crew. And basically, the Federation seems kind of pampered, but these people aren't. And um, I think, it, I think, basically, not just in combat situations, but also just in hanging around mm. on the ship, I think the stuff they say will just be a splash of cold water to mm. the, the people who've always lived like within the Federation. So, yeah, Kira is mine. So you've got Kira. I very nearly went for Kira. Mm-hmm. I did go for the only rational choice. Yeah, William T. Riker. William T. Riker. Yeah. I'm a huge fan of Riker. I mean, your ship is going to be flipping amazing. But mine is going to be kind of... It's just going to be the ones that I want to have. And yeah. that's kind of what I went, what I really went for. So yeah. yours is Riker. Mine was Riker. I mean, Riker is a brilliant first officer. He's very cool. He is the number one. He is possibly the coolest guy in Star Trek. Yeah. Isn't he? And yeah. um, there was there were so many times where I thought, why is this guy not got a ship of his own? Because he would make an amazing captain. He kept not wanting to have Because one, he wanted to be he? on the Enterprise with yeah, the car. Yeah, the flagship. Yeah, being the second officer on the flat flagship was better than having his own other mm. ship wasn't it to him i always thought you know there's so many options for a new star trek series and again they've gone into the past which i wish they hadn't have done with the upcoming star trek show um mm-hmm. but i always wanted to see a, a series where Riker got his own ship right. i mean there was a series of books weren't there the star trek following the titan the uss titan where he yeah. gets his own crew and he has tuvok on his crew that's security, a really interesting crew. and he has um is by that point is married to Deanna, so Deanna's She's with there. him. Yeah, uh, and then the rest they of the crew. They have a few crazy pretty... aliens that are really good. They've it's like a that... dinosaur doctor. The dinosaur doctor, Di- Doctor Dino, no, I was like kind of half cyborg, um, and they also had their science officer could only exist in like nearly zero g, mm. and they had to they had like a hologram avatar for her to get around the rest mm. of the ship. I thought it was like interesting ideas that would be difficult mm. to realise on the TV screen, mm. but you could do it in a book. So I think the Titan is a really interesting ship. I mean, I do think out of all the first officers, if you were going to say a first officer that was would make the best captain, I mean, all of the Star Trek ships had good first officers. I mean, you've gone with Kira. Kira would be a brilliant leader. Yeah. Um, Chakotay 
Chakotay was great. I loved the character of Chakotay. I very nearly went for Chakotay because I, I did really like him. Well, I always wanted him to be the captain instead of uh, Janeway. Mm. I always preferred him as a character to Janeway's character. I like the vegetarian characters as well. <laughs> just because that's what I eat. So. But, yeah. <laughs> it's not so that validated. Um, but he, and as, again, because of his ancestry and his heritage, he brought something different to the show. But in the end, yeah, there's just no no competition. Riker, mm. hands down, is the best number one. Yeah. So, big reveal time. No, no, actually, before we do the captain, I also wanted to have a uh, communications officer because there's only he... certain times when they have one. I did think about that, but because of the invent of the Universal Translators, they didn't have one after Uhura. So there's only two in Star Trek, which was Hoshi yeah. and Uhura herself. I just wanted to have Hoshi on the ship because she's so competent. If I was going to have so a... amazing with languages. If I was going to pick a communications officer, so we're saying everyone gets a, a communications officer. I would have yeah. gone with Hoshi. Yeah. Yeah, I mean. Although now you've gone, now you've said Hoshi. I'm, I'm thinking maybe I should have Uhura. You but could have Kelvin Uhura, Uhura if you wanted. I mean, Kelvin I... Universe Uhura. Hmm. I don't know. So it's Aldana. What? Oh uh, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I was no, actually, you've not got Spock. I don't I've, have a Spock. I've got Prime Universe Spock here, and no, I, I was I was just thinking out loud. I don't mm. know. <laughs> I mean. <laughs> Prime Universal. I think horrors, you're giving but... away a little bit too much about yourself. Here. <laughs> <laughs> no, sorry. So we all get a communications officer. In that case, I would probably say, I, yeah, I do like Koshi. Mm. I do like the character. I do like Yuhura as well, but I feel that they fleshed. I mean, probably the wrong time. They fleshed out Hoshi's character more and went more into her background and her story and oh, developed her more than they did with Yuhura. She was just so brilliant with mm. languages. I mean, she was. Like Daniel Jackson level of knowing languages, but also she could listen to it for a while and then like mm. isolate what the verbs were and stuff like that, and it was just yeah. so amazing. I mean, I do think, as I say, I probably have to say Hoshi because as much as I love Yahura, I do, as I say, I feel that they just spent more time creating the character with Hoshi, mm. and with with the original series Star Trek, it was all, although they. All the characters were good. I mean, Chekhov and Sulu were great characters. Scotty was amazing. But a lot of the time, the only characters they gave a lot of depth to and with backstory and subplots yeah. were your main three, Kirk, Spock and, and McCoy. Yeah. Whereas with the later series, they made sure to give more time. Probably just a time factor because the original series had far fewer episodes than the other yeah. series of Star Trek. So I would probably say that, again, they just did more with the Hoshi character, so I'd have to go with Hoshi. Now, before we come to the captains, yeah. I do think that we should all get one free pick for a crew member. Or just a random one? Not not to go in a specific role, but in like a maybe a special advisory status. That's a nice idea. And for me, I am going with Kira. Right, so you still get Akira. I get Akira. Because Kira Norris is one of the best characters in Star Trek. I absolutely love her character. I think Nana Visitor does a great portrayal of the character. And it's the first time we really see a character from that sort of background, from an oppressed, conquered world. Yeah. There was a freedom fighter. In a pinch, she's a character you want to have at your side. Okay. If I, if I was being held captive by the Cardassians, then it would be her and Worf that I'd want coming after me to rescue me. I don't blame you. Yeah, they are a reliable team. 
And someone's got to kick Cardassian butt on my ship. Well, I already have Kira and Worf on my ship. And since it's going to be a, a free character, I would just non captainsy I would just go with my heart <laughs> and choose another Vulcan. I'm going to go with Tuvok. Tuvok? Good yeah, choice. Yeah, I, um, I love what he did with the the whole uh, Vulcan philosophy, basically. Yeah. I mean, there was so much more to his idea of being Vulcan, and he's another tactical officer, and he is like he knows multiple martial arts and things mm. like that, and his mental discipline seems a little bit different to to Spock's. Mm. I mean, I've already got Spock as being my science officer but Tuvok it seems like he has all these emotions that he's keeping in check I know Spock does as well but Spock finds things fascinating famously mm. uh, whereas um, <laughs> Tuvok basically it makes Vulcan philosophy seem like more of a way of life mm. and yeah, I'm just watching Voyager I just I, I really um identified with his character because the way he'd find people annoying like <laughs> Neelix obviously um, and yet he would keep everything in control all the time mm. and uh, I would just, I would love to have him on the ship so I'm just writing Tuvok down here yep. no particular role but he will He's be on, on the, the ship. ship and yours was Kira, Mine was Kira. So I mean, Kira I, is here as, as I well. say Kira's got so much spirit she's such a great character mm. she's got so much empathy with her yeah other people and their problems I just think it would. I would want Akira Nerisse on my ship, she nearly made it to my first officer role as well because she is just an exceptional person yeah, you know I mean, um, um, I, mean I wish I could have had Spock on my ship if I hadn't, if I'd got Kira on a role I would probably have said that my free um, officer was going to be Spock because I re- and I regret not having Spock on my ship but my ship as it is is just so cool I regret not having Chakotay, but um, I couldn't really think of him being in a different role. And I think, like, I don't know, if I'm just having... He would have been my second choice for first officer, whereas Mm. Tuvok, I would just like him to have him on the ship Mm. somewhere. So, the big moment of truth, the captaincy. Yeah, the captaincy. Now, (laughs) this is why we've kept this till last, but... Yeah, I kind of imagined me being the captain on this ship. (gasps) Power struggles. I know power power play, but no, no. If we're going to pick a ca- uh, captain for this particular crew, I imagined it was just being a ship that we're on. You know, like in Star Trek, you get admirals that would go out on missions and they'd have a, a complete command crew on the. So yours ship. is an even greater power play. So you want to be an admiral? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, well, I just like the idea of being on the ship with this crew, mm. and this is uh, knowing that this crew was out there. If I, you know, you know, sometimes you think, you know, you're, uh, you need a rescue mission. You're stranded somewhere. Mm. Who would come to save you? Well, this is the crew I'd want to come and save me. Right. Um, but yeah, captain. Aside from yourself, who would you pick as the captain? Um. Well, for me, I know there are other captains out there, but it's kind of the classic toss-up between Picard and Kirk because. I loved The Next Generation when I was watching that. And obviously, Captain Picard is he's so solid with tactics and also he's so cultured as well and so good at diplomacy. But I 
really love the original series as well and it's more recently that I've been watching the original series and appreciating that Kirk has as much depth basically mm-hmm. and yet is more of a maverick he will uh, flaunt the rules more <laughs> and I'm just thinking with this particular crew that I've got here I think for the captain I just think it'd be really interesting to have Kirk on a ship <laughs> he's, he's got Spock basically so there's the classic team of Kirk and Spock but then Kirk to have his a... first officer being Kira, his homeless being Tom Paris, his tactical being Worf Bashir, Balana, O'Brien, Yahoo, See, and Chewbacca. Kira is <laughs> such a maverick herself that um, I, I, I admit, you've got two, a very maverick team there. This ship will be <laughs> causing <laughs> chaos in the galaxy, <laughs> but I would like to see it. Yep. So I'm going with that. I'm going with Kirk for my captain. I also thought of the traditional you know, toss-up, as you say, between Kirk and Picard. But for a long time, I felt that if I was going to serve with a captain, mm. I'd want it to be Cisco, right? Cisco. From Deep Space Nine. You're because you're wearing his uniform. I am wearing his. <laughs> well, he lent it me. Oh uh, yeah. On the specific terms that I named him as the captain of the ship. Oh, okay, good. So, um, so we're eating jambalaya later. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm rock to Gino. <laughs> I mean, out of all, I mean, I love the original. I, I love all from original series. The only series I wasn't a huge fan of was Enterprise. Mm. Uh, but I loved Deep Space Nine. I thought that as a series, it did stories that were long term and ongoing in a way that the other series couldn't because they were constantly moving yeah. location. Whereas yeah. they were able to have um, a long term villain. I mean, having the story bet- with the nemesis of um, Cisco Ducat. and Ducat mm. was a brilliant move. There were a lot of twists around it yeah. as well, weren't there? And as I say, the having Kira there as kind of like a maverick character. Well, Cisco could be a maverick. I always, I almost see Cisco as sitting between Kirk and Picard. Because he did use his biological was... weapons that time. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I, mean, I think one of the because I was debating really between Picard and Cisco. But what clinched it for me was one scene in particular. No. You hit me! Picard never hit me! Oh, yeah. <laughs> I'm he... not Picard. <laughs> when he punched Q. When he punched Q in the face. Actually, yeah, punching Q is pretty badass. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> take aside defeating the Dominion. Take mm. aside the fact that he's not he's the only captain that's not entirely human because he's part prophet. Yeah. The fact that he punched a Q. Yeah. Yeah, that is pretty amazing. Uh, but oh, he's, yeah, uh, like he liked his yeah. sports. He was a great team builder. He could he could cook. He would have you around to dinner. He was a single dad. That's it. There was again. I felt that there was a lot to his character. I mean, mm. he's, um, he, he was the first time he saw a character with a real family situation because obviously he had his own dad he was worried about. He had his um, son. Yeah. He ended up getting married. He came yeah. from a situation where he was a single dad after losing his. Uh, wife there was so much more that they did with that character it was the only character that they had that was more than just a Starfleet captain because he was the emissary of the prophets yeah um, so he had a very a really much a cultural aspect to his character I thought he was a great officer for uh, wartime but mm. he was also a good diplomat much like Picard he also had a real interest in history and archaeology like Picard but that was more to do with the fact that because of his role as the emissary and trying to understand the well, history of yeah. Bajor. His his interest was archaeology on Bajor, mm. wasn't it? Whereas Picard's was just role. archaeology across the galaxy. Yeah, yeah, especially yeah. with Vash. 
<laughs> well, Vash is an interest all in her own, isn't she? Um, and obviously his friendship with Dax was right, great. So you've got Cisco. Um, yeah. And I just thought, again, if I was going to have a cat, th- this is a guy who, whereas Picard would follow the Prime Directive and probably leave you stranded if he had 98% to. 98% of the time. And <laughs> Kirk would just dis- disregard the Prime Directive every time he needed to. Oh, Cisco yeah. would do it's that when it thing. was important. He was a guy that knew... He, he saw the line, and he knew when it was morally right to cross the line. Yes. So he followed the rules, but he wasn't a slave to the rules. He knew sometimes that to for things to be done right, you had to kind of bend the rules a little bit. Look at that stuff he did with Gallic that time. The Pale Moonlight one, was it? Yeah, and the Pale yeah. Moonlight, which was a fantastic episode. Brilliant. When he brought the Romulans into the war. Yeah. And he can live with it. And it was a fake. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> okay. How so... ironic. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So you, know, you have got Cisco as captain, Riker as first officer, Jadzia as science officer, Tom Paris on the helm, Worf at tactical, Bashir as the doctor, Balana in the engine room, Seven of Nine in the astrometrics lab, Data as operations officer, Oda as security officer, Hoshi on communications, and Kira. Wandering around and kicking ass, doing whatever she needs. Kicking to ass do. and taking names. Yeah, that that is a pretty amazing crew. Yeah, I, I could see that. I could see that as being. It. What ship are you imagining? Just off the top of your head. Off the top of my head, I was probably thinking the Enterprise E, just because it was an advanced ship. That is a sweet ship. Yeah. So yeah, they've they've got a lot of firepower with them. I mean, obviously, we and Cisco. I nearly said the Defiant. Yeah, but that would be very cramped and yeah. uh, warlike and yeah. stuff. So yeah, if we're just general exploration, we want the Enterprise. I yet. don't think you'd have an astrometrics lab on that. No, there wouldn't be space. So yeah, and for me, I've got Captain Kirk with the first officer Kira. That is weird. <laughs> just just even Kirk and Kira. That. Yeah, yeah, and uh, science officer Spock looking down the Spockoscope. Tom Paris is still flying the ship, and Worf is still on tactical. Bashir is still being the genetically engineered doctor. Bellano's in the engine room. Seven's in the astrometrics lab. This is all on Voyager, by the way. O'Brien is sorting out operations and hanging out with Bashir at various times. Security is Tasha Yar, mm. um, being incredibly tough. Communications is Hoshi. And Tuvok is there to like, help everybody with their logic. And I would say that, I mean, O'Brien is an amazing character. I love that O'Brien was in Next Generation and, and Deep Space Nine. Yeah. I love some of the stories that he gets into and his he friendship must be with Bashir. Getting close to Worf in amount of episodes. Well, he, as I say, there's not that many, many episodes he, of Next Generation. He was in. He did probably more small appearances than a lot, because uh, originally it was the transporter chief. Wasn't Are it? you counting seconds of screen time? Um, well, he, <laughs> just sheer appearances. Right, he, okay. he appeared a lot, just operating transporters. Um, but he then later played more of a role in some of the later Next Generation episodes. And yeah, and he was such a deep character in in DS Nine. And because I watched some of the commentaries of the episodes and interviews with the writers and things, and they said like when you when you when you want to really feel an episode, you just make something really awful happen to O'Brien. <laughs> I felt <laughs> sorry for him, but well, this is it. Really he, terrible he, things happen to him. He, uh, he had a lot to live through, especially because of his in, in, in different ordeals with the Cardassians and and things like that. But 
he was such a good character. I mean, there was there's when you're looking at these sort of series and you're seeing that a character has to hold an, an entire episode by himself. Mm-hmm. There's not a lot of characters that can do that and do it well. No. But with him, you can just watch any episode with him and his acting will bring it to life. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Cole Meany was great at that. He was, he was absolutely fantastic, wasn't he? And your dad got to meet him once. He did, yeah, at the university. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I think I he was got, doing something different at the time. But I yeah. got to meet Tuvok. Did you? Yeah. When I was oh. a, when I was a kid, he did a signing at Forbidden Planet in Nottingham, and my That's dad. That's why you me. suddenly became so wise. <laughs> <laughs> so I had a, yeah, I got to meet him. I've got a signed picture of him somewhere. Oh, sweet. I say somewhere. I know exactly where it is. I'm just not admitting to it. <laughs> okay. Oh yeah, yeah. You were wondering how much of your Star Trek memorabilia to bring out for this, and we decided not. We decided half or something. I don't know. We don't we want just to brought, look too bad. We just brought my seven of nine and my Star Trek props. Out. <laughs> it's it's really, really, I don't want to look like too much of a geek. It's so. really cool the way she's just in an alcove. There, <laughs> that'd be such a way, a cool way to sleep as well, being in an alcove. So we've picked our ships. We've yeah, gone for different crews. I had to. I very carefully had to make sure that my crew just wasn't just the crew of Deep Space Nine. Because that is my favourite Star Trek series. I tried to have a bit of a one of a the reasons mix. I went for Riker over Kira for First Officer and for Balana, uh, sorry over O'Brien was because I thought if I don't do this, it is going to turn into DS Nine with Data and Seven. <laughs> DS Nine is a very easy series to love. I mean, you can just get series. so into the characters and the situation. I have to admit, if someone said to me, "What? I've never watched any Star Trek. What should I watch?" to see if I like it or not. Deep Space Nine would be what I tell them to watch. I definitely, well, I think because, um, partly, I think it's got so many issues that are relevant. Mm. And I think if somebody hadn't watched any Star Trek, then they're probably not that into sci-fi. But um, DS9 is, is it's a bit more real than the others. And that's partly why they made it, isn't it? Mm. Because it wasn't... The, other, the rest of Star Trek wasn't quite dark enough. I mean, it, it seemed too utopian mm. future. Like, even when they introduced the Borg as being like the, the downside of technology. But even the Borg enough. weren't the villains that the Cardassians were. No. And the Cardassians, and particularly Dukat, and then the, later the Dominion. Yeah, it was the, like the dark side of humanity, basically, mm. was coming out in the Cardassians. Then in later episodes, mm. you had to see them as being more three-dimensional as mm. well, because you had... Like the stuff that Garrick had, had to go through, and you and saw Garrick him as a was person. one of the brilliant. I mean, I say I would if love had to have spy had... on this. Then if he I had, been yeah, if or I had Taylor. an intelligence officer, then we yeah. would have both had a free Garrick. We would have done really, yeah. Because he... Garrick was one of the most, again, one of the most interesting characters because per- he had yeah. such a mis- mysterious presence to him. Another person that Cisco punched as well. Yeah, he did. In, I love the way uh, he the just. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> he just... Garrick blocked it and then he punched him with the other hand. <laughs> <laughs> Cisco I just saw the really fact the way cool that Garrick just didn't... He, he just knew Cisco was angry. He, he knew did. Cisco had a right to be angry. So mm. he was just talking him down while taking the hits. While taking, taking the beating. <laughs> but basically, Garrick took a beating for the sake of the winning Humanity. war. Humanity. Yeah, mm. yeah, for the Alpha Quadrant. Really. The, yeah. yeah. And we don't give in Garrick enough credit for that. So well done, Garrick. Andrew Robinson brilliantly portrayed that role. And he wrote a really good book about it as well. Yeah. About uh, the sti- a Stitch in Time. It's oh, yeah, a great I've read book that. about a... Garrick. He's yeah. started to find out more about his mysterious backstory. and. Yeah. So, yeah, this is our Star Trek uh, dream team. Dedicated to Garrick. Dedicated to Andrew Robinson as Garrick. Thank mm. you, Garrick, for 
for bringing the Romulans into the war and saving the Alpha Quadrant and life as we know it. Thank you. Thank you for your thick skin. I don't know who you are, but we're the Middlesome Meeples, and it's time to talk about books. A very particular set of books. Welcome to Tone Talk, and today uh, Matt is going to talk about Aztec Century by Christopher Evans. Yeah, and it's kind of a it's a book that I've been waiting a long time to read. This this, this is one I've literally only just finished reading about an hour or so before the, you the started recording. Before. No, I hadn't read it before. Oh. I'd started reading it. This was one of the reasons why I'd been so excited to get my hands on a copy of this, mm. because when I was younger. Uh, my mum used to do cleaning work and she used to clean in a library right. uh, in the evenings but she had to usually take me with her because there was no one else to look after me so and the, li- the library staff knew this and they were quite happy for it as long as I didn't go around the, to certain parts of the library mm-hmm. so I just used to sit in the library for a couple of hours and read and I remember one time I finished a book and picked up a book uh, with about five ten minutes left to go and mm-hmm. started reading it and I was really excited by this book because, I mean, I was about nine years old, I think, at the time. But I was hugely interested in Aztecs mm-hmm. and the Aztec Empire. Um, and I picked up this book and it was an alternate history novel uh, where the premise of the story, although it's set in, it was set in more modern times, was that when Cor- uh, Hernando Cortes went to Tenochtitlan, mm-hmm. he actually sided with the Aztecs. Right. And then he helped the Aztecs repel different waves of conquistadors, mm-hmm. and the Aztecs became a world power. Mm-hmm. And I remember going back to the library during opening hours to try and get the book out so I could I could take it home and read it. But at the time, uh, there was an age restriction on the book, so I couldn't hire it. And I thought, oh well, when I'm when I'm old enough, I'm definitely going to have to go back and get that book. Right. So this By is which like point, key. I'd forgotten what the book was. <laughs> Uh, what it was called, who wrote it. I just had this idea <laughs> in my head. So I was trying to figure it out what the book was. It says at the bottom, written and chained by the Aztec Empire. Maybe that's all you knew about it. That was pretty but much all I knew about it. from the tagline. Because on the front, because I was looking at this, because um, you were reading it a bit last week, weren't you, mm. as well. Um, it's got kind of London on the front. It's quite recognisable, because you see Big Ben. Yeah. But there's like an Aztec pyramid <laughs> in there. And, and it, a glider. Aztec yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's cool. And it looks incredible, very futuristic. Mm. Um, but as I say, it took me ages to try and track this down. I only uh, found it because someone gave me the title of it. Mm-hmm. And that came about because one of the uh, groups I'm in on Facebook, which is um, Board Gaming and Trading and Chat UK, there was a discussion in there about what books people like to read. Mm-hmm. And I made a comment on there that I was after this book, which was about an alternate history. Uh, Aztec Empire mm. and someone says oh, that sounds like Aztec Century by Christopher Evans so I thought mm. yeah I've got to so All I went right. out and bought it that same day and uh, finally got around to reading it uh, and I was quite excited even by some of the blurb on the, on the back mm. um, A&M Banks who's one of your favourite authors yeah. he said about this that it's intelligent finely written and towards the end absolutely nail biting alright so you could actually look forward to the end then yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I plunged into reading it and I have to admit, it wasn't as good as I remembered it being as a kid when I started. Right, yeah. uh, the reason being, uh, I'd seem to remember, well, I'd only read the first, uh, bit, very first bit of it, which talked about the Aztec Empire uh, conquering the UK. 
and there's only were... a very short bit about that and that's all I really remembered and then you just imagine the rest of it for years I just imagine yeah <laughs> the rest of it being about the conquest and about mm. the empire and it being sort of like a grand geopolitical book uh, with the military overtones and actually it's not quite like that mm-hmm. um, the book is full of you know the, the, the conquest of the Aztecs uh, the political intrigue that's going on um, at its heart, there is a romance between Princess Catherine, oh, one of no. the um, part of the royal family, mm-hmm. uh, and Estepan, who is the heir to the, who becomes the heir to the throne. He's not at the start of the book. Um, who is installed as the governor of Britain? Well, that would have annoyed you. That annoyed when you were me. Nine. When, that would have annoyed me when I was nine if I'd got to that, point. <laughs> and it annoyed me now because I'm not really a fan of romance novels. Mm. Um, that said. I really enjoyed the book, particularly, as Banks said, towards the end. The last 80 or 90 pages, I literally couldn't put the book down. Hmm. I just carried on reading. Uh, And just to give you an idea, it starts off with certain members of the royal family um, having escaped London. The king's been captured, as has uh, the prince. Uh, But there's two of the princesses and a baby escape, along with some of their retinue. And they they're hiding in a place in Wales, mm-hmm. and that they're there for a couple of years before they're finally found. Oh, this is very early on in the book, so it's no spoilers, and it's in fact referenced on the back of the book as well. Um, right, and they're then brought back to London. They become part of like the new court. Um, mm-hmm. One of them in particular, the main character, Princess Catherine, very resistant to the Aztecs, mm-hmm. um, wanting to try and help her people also wanting uh, to not have anything to do with the new establishment and having like an inner struggle between herself not wanting to uh, almost condone or give legitimacy to the uh, dominant Aztecs Mm -hmm. by cooperating with them but at the same time struggling internally because she knows that the only way that she can do anything to help her people is to work with them to some extent like she goes at one point she goes on a tour to try and find out what people need whether it's medical supplies food etc and then makes recommendations which are then acted on by the Aztecs Mm -hmm. Uh, and it's it's quite an interesting view into the mind of someone who's in that position where she feels like she should be fighting back but she knows that that's going to be futile and the only thing that she can do as a captive is to try and do what she can to help her people so there is that is interesting in itself um, as I say, this is an alternate history sci-fi, so it's quite interesting because it's describing places like parts of London, which at the same time are very familiar if you've mm-hmm. been there, but then with like really strange differences because of the Aztec, Aztec. presence. Mm-hmm. So when did they conquer it then? Um, it's set, I would say, in the nineties. And they've only just been conquered. And they've they've only just been conquered. Right. Okay. Um, but they've they've been struggles against the Aztecs for years before that. But it's only recently that they attacked and conquered Britain. Right. Okay. Uh, and it has, as a result, very quickly after that conquest, there are things there like um, even as you're walking down the streets, the kind of stores that are around are selling Aztec goods. Things are slowly being altered. A lot of the f- uh, films and culture reflect. Aztec culture as opposed mm-hmm. to British culture um, and it's quite it's quite fascinating to see that kind of a what if society 
Yeah. It's got, I say, there's futuristic technologies and their futuristic weapons. And I did feel that a lot of the twists as I was reading through were predictable to me mm-hmm. until I got towards the end. Right, okay. Um, the abs- the actual ending of the book was very well done. Uh, I really enjoyed the ending of the book, and I didn't see the- those particular twists coming. And I would say, as-, as as Banks said, that when you get to the end, I didn't want to put it down. I just wanted to keep reading it. Right. Um, the one of the things that I have to say in this, Princess Catherine, who's the main character, I really didn't like her. No. I found it hard to root for her in a way because. Um, there was an arrogance to her nature, which I suppose is going to come from, you know, that privileged royal background mm-hmm. that even being in exile didn't diminish. Right. And there were times when she was doing things when I was thinking, that's just stupid. Right. You know, uh, and the way her views on certain characters in the book just seemed completely out of whack to me, out of line. Even so, I still managed to enjoy it, even though it was being told from her eyes. Mm-hmm. And because it was from that position, you were able to, as I say, to see like the in- internecine struggles between the various characters representing the Aztec Empire. Mm-hmm. And overall, this touches on quite, as I say, a number of subjects. There's there's warfare in there. There's the historical aspect to it that's interesting. Yeah. Um, the, the politics in it are interesting, yeah. and the ending is brilliant and it's one of the things that I've often wondered myself what would have happened had Cortes gone over to the Aztecs because mm. the Aztec Empire had a huge amount of wealth and resources they weren't um, very together though were they? No. they didn't really have much going for them well that this is it that's why I always thought what if Cortes had worked with them I thought he did just ruled them a bit <laughs> well he kind of pretended to be a god for a while yeah. Um, and then they realised that he wasn't and chucked him out. And then there was right. a long, bitter fight, um, which he largely won because of horses and uh, his advanced weaponry. And he made an alliance, didn't he, with the various yeah. tribes that. Yeah. Uh, but in this, this is different. This, uh, he repels. Um, he helps the, the Aztecs repel, repel other, conquistadors. other conquistadors. So. And and it's quite interesting I mean it, it, some of the history of it is only touched on yeah. so for example um, w- Napoleon Wellington and Andrew Jackson together mm. stopped the Aztec encroachment in the north right. in this. and there's just certain little historical aspects of it that's really interesting but as mm-hmm. I say the whole uh, history of the Aztec Empire the human sacrifice side to their religion I was going to ask if there was that still well in this the Aztecs have supposedly embraced Catholicism, right? But there's so lots of secrets and rumours about, you know, certain rituals and practices uh, of them still honouring the old gods and still performing human sacrifices. Oh, still some but they yeah. are denying it. All right, yeah. But you will find an answer in the book. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and that's, that's uh, you know, I don't want to say too much, obviously, but it, there is some really interesting things in this book. And it takes place across different settings. As I say, there's a lot set in the UK. There's a lot set in uh, Tenochtitlan. There's uh, sections of it that are set in Russia. So it's quite a a broad scope of this, all told from the one character's perspective, Princess Mm -hmm. Catherine. Um, But as I started to... I was kind of on a real journey with this because I didn't think that I could possibly not like the book. And then Mm -hmm. I started to read it. I started to think I might be wrong. (laughs) 
Yeah, I remember you saying um, that it wasn't as good as you remembered, but you were still quite near the beginning at that point. Yeah, and as I say, I've, in the end, this is a book that I definitely, definitely enjoyed. Okay. That's and good, the ending itself was very good. Good. So you didn't just get through it to say, don't get this book. <laughs> you can say <laughs> it is interesting. And um, yeah, twist at the end. I think that was the main thing that I got from what you said. <laughs> yeah, it was very good at the end. I would say as well that um, Christopher Evans, he's the, who's the writer, he is Welsh, and I think that he did draw upon uh, certain aspects of that when he was writing the book. I mean, there was a character in there who, who is Welsh. When the royal family are hiding out, they're hiding out in a place in Wales, mm. and it does come. The story does come back to that later. Right in a way that you might find quite interesting when you actually get around to reading the book. But it does use his hometown as well mm-hmm. in the story. So right. um, his own personality does come through in that regard. But yeah, I think this is a book that, particularly if you like uh, alternate history, uh, Harry Turtle, love those sort of mm-hmm. books, then Aztec Century by Christopher Evans is definitely going to be one t- to check out. But it's one that you might have to make yourself stick with to get the brilliant end yeah yeah okay then so if you are a bit put off at the beginning uh, just remember that Matt was as well yeah (laughs) right so that's Tome Talk for this week and next week I'll have a book to talk about do you know what that's going to be no well we'll see what Rich has been reading in a couple of weeks so Matthew thought that was good what are your thoughts let us know so that was episode 9 of the Medicine Meeples we hoped you enjoyed it as much as we enjoyed making it uh, please be, uh, check us out on Instagram we've been posting a lot of pictures from the UK Games Expo on Instagram as well as pictures of games that we've been playing recently you just join a different thing every week don't you we do, we do we are no longer probably as active on Tumblr as we used to be um, but there are reasons nobody for that is. nobody is, it's a thing of the past now um, but that suits us Yeah. so there Instagram's we are better. Yeah. Insta- it's Instagram all the way so nice. Metal and Meeples on Instagram please check us out and Take a look at some of our pictures from the expo. And Heather's going to be rubbing in what that she the fact that she's been seeing, seeing Wonder Woman and I haven't all week. So I've got that to look forward to between now and our next episode. We could just go see it. We could. Well, you went to that see Star be Wars without me when it first, first awakened. Nothing's going to be able to get uh, you back nothing to that. do with me. There's been so much teasing going on. <laughs> no, I'll right. go again. I'm <laughs> off to watch some Stargate SG-1. Okay. <laughs> Enjoy the rest of the. Well, I hope you've enjoyed the show. Please come and check us out for episode 10. <laughs> 10 episodes, Richard. We're still on air. Amazing. We haven't done episode 10 yet, though, have we? No. Okay, that's, that's well, all right then, as long as I haven't forgot. How much beer are you two? <laughs> <Sorry>. <laughs> See you. Thanks for joining us. Bye. Stay meddlesome. Farewell, Questa, and thanks for joining us. If you wish to avoid the wrath of Greyskar and the Black, then subscribe to our show before you depart. Our fortress is located at meddlesomemeeples.com or join our banners by rendezvousing with us at facebook.com forward slash meddlesomemeeples, instagram.com forward slash the meddlesomemeeples, or follow the flight of the mountain bluebird to at meddlesomemeeples. Until next time, Questa, farewell and keep thine axe sharp.